0: Both of these sides know war is coming. And they thought this was going to be the final meeting or maybe it was going to be the first battle. And so this priest walks up to Atahualpa with the Spanish Bible and he basically tells them, you're going to have this opportunity to convert to Christianity. You're going to worship our God. And if you don't join us, you're going to be slain. Atahualpa takes the Spanish Bible. He opens it, spits on it, rips the page out and throws it on the ground. The whole city has been abandoned. And what he doesn't realize is that hiding just off in the forest with telescopes are Pizarro and his men watching Altawapa throw the Bible on the ground. Just like that, the Spanish descend down on the Inca army, and Pizarro himself, he runs up to Altawapa with a knife, puts a knife to his throat, and kidnaps him just like that. And all of the Inca empire is shut down in one moment. Luke Cavins, welcome to Jersey, baby. How's it going, man? Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. This is my first time here. In Jersey? Yeah, I mean, maybe I drove through here briefly last year, but this is my very first time actually oh, well, coming here and getting out of a car.
1: Well, double welcome, then. It's a yeah, great yeah.
0: state, best state in America. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm biased or anything.
1: Yeah. But you're, you're coming from where? San Antonio?
0: San Antonio, Texas. Yeah, I've been living there for a couple years with my wife. Uh, she's in dental school, mm-hmm. and we moved there for that, uh, but grew up in East Texas, in Tyler, Texas. Uh, white. Well, I grew up in White House, Texas, which is right outside of Tyler. So, little, little tiny town. You're not a Cowboys fan, are you? A huge Cowboys fan.
1: Son right. of a bitch! Yep. All right, we gotta cut. We gotta leave this. <laughs> we, we can't do this podcast.
0: God damn it. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. I came in and saw the Eagles coasters, and I went, oh, interesting.
1: Yeah, you're in you're enemy. I don't know enemy. how this podcast is gonna go. I mean, I'm in enemy territory right here whenever I've been living up here at, at different points in my life, because this is the... New York mm-hmm. Giants and Jets area, but mm-hmm. especially with the Giants fans, obviously, they take it personal, but yep. Cowboys fan in the studio, man, I don't think we, have we had that yet? I don't know if we've had a Cowboys fan. I usually thought it was like a genetic mistake, but, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. Well, it it feels like that because they really haven't done anything uh, too significant in the entire time that I've been alive. No, they haven't. 96,
1: last playoff win, or last Super Bowl win, but who's counting? Yeah, the year after that, I was born. And ever since then, it's been like an omen. Might be your curse. Might be the curse of Luke on the Cowboys. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'll take it, though. But anyway, we got some important stuff to talk about today. So you... And my boy, Danny Jones, also just did a podcast. I Mm -hmm. guess you hit us up at at around the same time there. But what I like about your expertise is that you look heavily at South America, Mm -hmm. which I am so fucking interested in. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, that's kind of like the Amazon. Obviously, I've had Paul Rosely in here talking about it. He's lived there for 18 years. But the Amazon is like, kind of the lungs of the earth. It's like mm-hmm. it's like where so many things began, and there's so many mysteries we don't even know about in it. And then when you think about the entire continent and all the history there, mm. you know, we get lost in our whole North American-centric memory of yeah. the discovery, but... When the new world was getting discovered, you know, they were discovering the whole damn thing. Yep. And there's so much history. You talk about the Mayans, the Aztecs, all these different things I want to get into today. But what, what was your, like, origin story with getting into studying South America, in addition to the other things you study, but as that is, like, kind of a lead to become an expert in?
0: <clears throat> so, um, well, I grew up always hearing about... So, on both different sides of my family, so my paternal side and my maternal side, um, My paternal side, my my dad's side of the family, his, golly, great-great-grandfather and his four brothers are involved in, like, one of the biggest, um, you know, if you were to pick up, like, any uh, books that were about, like, lost treasure and legends of Southwest United States or West Texas, Mm. you would find a story about my great-great-great-grandfather. It's one of those guys. Um, But it was the four Reagan brothers, and they lived... In a place called Dryden, Texas, in Reagan Canyon. And Reagan Canyon was basically a route that um, like Spanish caravans would come through, you know, pulling gold because they were looking for the for the seven cities of gold that uh, you know, we'll we'll get into it later, but like El Dorado, that's that's Mm, just one yeah, yeah, that's just one story of I don't know, maybe a dozen stories. There there are a dozen cities like El Dorado, um, probably more but um, there's a bunch of legends, and so one of these legends was the seven cities of gold that the Spanish were looking for. They did find a lot of gold, but they never quite found these seven cities, but when they were pillaging gold and they were bringing their own riches from Spain um, up through the Chihuahuan Desert, they would pass through what was called Reagan Canyon. It wasn't called that then, but it would later on be called Reagan Canyon, and so um, the four Reagan brothers, they lived out there, and they ended up getting wrapped up in this uh, story about uh, these bandits that would sit up in the canyons and they would basically sack these Spanish caravans coming through, steal all the gold. But they didn't have, I guess, the horses or, or the ability to take all of the gold with them. So they hid it up in the canyons, like in caves, or they would. Uh, it's all kind of like a volcanic desert rock that's there. Mm-hmm. And then so they knock out the, um, I guess they knock out the rock wall, build like a little. Uh, cave and then they cover it up and then so they would put these stakes in the ground something that's subtle that only they would be able to come back and see but they didn't come back and get all of it and this would have been 1600s early 1700s that Mm. this that this happened um you know leading up to the alamo and so 1800s and um and so a lot of that gold is lost out there well towards the turn of the century uh getting close to the year 1900 the four reagan brothers are out there and they end up some of the uh, they had like indentured servants that were out there. Like they had uh, they had this boy. Uh, he was his name was Jim Kelly. He was a um, uh, he was a Irish. No, I'm sorry, not Jim Kelly. Bill Kelly. He he was a um, Mexican African uh, young kid that came up on a mule. He was riding a mule. He rode it through the Reagan Canyon straight up onto their uh, ranch in Dryden, Texas. And so they ended up bringing bringing in the kid. And while he was out herding animals, he found one of these caches. And so it, I won't go all the way into the story, but it leads into this long legend of my family and, uh, you know, my great, great, great grandfather and his three brothers going on this like 30 year search to recover some of this gold that was stolen from their land because people ended up coming in and uh, finding some of these caches and stealing them. Whoa. And then they would go back and look for more. And this is like, This is like thousands of acres at way out there in the middle of nowhere. It's probably, you know, probably the last people that were out there were my family like 120 years ago. So it's it's all still sitting out there. I haven't gotten to go yet because you have to have like a crazy Jeep just to get out there.
1: Hey guys, I need your help with three quick things. And if you're watching me on Spotify video right now, you can see this timer to my right. It is gonna be fast. Number one, if you are not already following the show, please hit that follow button on Spotify or whatever audio platform you're on. Number two, if you're on Spotify right now, on our show's homepage in the description, you will see a link to our Spotify podcast clips channel. That's right, we are posting clips from this podcast every single day on there. There is a whole library, so go over there and follow. And finally, number three, if you are on Spotify, or Apple, please leave a five star review. It is a huge, huge help to this show. Now, let's get to the
0: episode. Anyways, so the grandson of that Reagan, his name is Lee Reagan. The grandson of him was my dad's dad. He was born into like a lot of oil wealth, and um, my family just had had a lot of oil, you know, stuff going on. And yeah, so he from
1: Texas, what else? Yeah, is yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So he he got into he got into gold mining and Spanish treasure hunting. Well, he ended up finding. Uh, the Seven Lost Spanish Gold Mines of New Mexico. Mm. And this is in southern New Mexico. And uh, he ended up finding these, found a lot of gold, opened up uh, Three Bells Mining and Milling Company, and um, found a lot of gold in these mines. And these are like old Spanish mines. That There's a legend that the Mogollon uh, native people out there were, they were the ones that originally uh, dug out these mines, although there's not anything to substantiate that, but that's the legend and so, uh, he was mining these semi-ancient gold mines and, and, you know, cutting out more gold mines for like eight years. Uh, their smelter exploded, uh, somebody died and his partners ran off with all the money and like my family, like they fell into poverty. My dad had to rise out of that. Anyways, I grew up hearing about these stories of, um, my dad's side of the family, um, Chasing lost spanish gold and uh, and then on my mom's side of the family, my dad was or my grandpa was a pastor, but he was really interested in archaeology and like the history of the Bible and he actually cared about like the world that the Bible took place in and so I learned a lot from mm-hmm. him as far as like uh, I didn't know it at the time, but it was like an anthropological study of the biblical world. and that's what I would become interested in I'd be sitting there in church and I'd be like you know, people would be talking about like this. the The dumbest thing I ever heard when I was in church was somebody brought up something about uh, they had like a like an automated phone number that you could text that would simulate Jesus Christ, and then they'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> "The Lord has <is> risen." <laughs> and they'd be we had we had this thing called Text Jesus, and oh. uh, and my sister and I always joke about that because that was the last time I ever went like to Sunday school. Um, what would he say when he responded? Time. <laughs> Man, I can't even remember. This was probably... I was probably 17, and I just thought it was oh so stupid. God. Like, I didn't care about how the Bible really was applicable to what was going on with us today. I mean, I get it. You can read the lessons and understand it for yourself, but I wanted to know about the world that the people lived in, because it, mm. because a lot of that is real, you know what I mean? Uh, the Bible is insanely historically accurate. Insanely. You know, when you when you get to like the time of Moses and you start talking about Egypt, everything that happens before Moses, sometimes some of that can be taken up as interpretation. But when you get to Moses and it's talking about Egypt, man, it's it's shockingly precise. How do and, we
1: know that? And I've I've had in other people yeah. talking about this who come at it from different angles. But oh, really. You know, I, I've studied some <laughs> of that history where they can, like, actually measure where someone's tomb was mm-hmm. the, and carbon date it, like, what years it was and line up stories. But yeah. outside of some of, maybe some of the mainstream, you know, oh, here's the tomb of Abraham and things like that, how do we know
0: that a lot of these things happened? Okay, so um, I can't really speak as to when you're looking in the ancient Middle East, cause, you know, the Bible takes place in a, in a very small area, basically the Holy Land and a little bit of Egypt, Right. Um, I don't really study the Holy Land, so there's there's things that go on there that I couldn't speak to. But some of the oldest writings in the Bible, um, whoever was writing them knew about ancient Egypt during the time that Moses would have existed, which is uh, 1400 to 1300 BC. This is some of the oldest parts of the Bible. And it's not that there is in overwhelming amount of evidence for the existence of Moses himself right not that uh, there's not an overwhelming existence of, of a lot of people who are in the bible like a, like king david there's only a little ancient letter that's written on like a clay tablet that mentions that mentions a king david perhaps in the area where he would have lived but what they do get right is they get every single detail that they lay out as to how the egyptian world worked the way that they <laughs> the way that they uh, constructed their buildings, the type of mud bricks that they used. Um, they even talk about they even talk about the exact stools that women would sit on, exactly how they're designed mm. when they were giving birth. There's like a lot of little details which we call internal evidence that like when you look at the story of Joseph in Egypt, there's no archaeological evidence at all that Joseph or Moses ever existed. There's no archaeological evidence. But the internal evidence that happens inside the story, when it describes what was going on in Egypt, could have only been written by somebody who was living there at exactly the same time. So, when I when I talk about like the historical accounts of the Bible, when it gets particular, it's like shockingly particular. And so, I can really only speak to Egypt, which is the, the more ancient parts of the Bible. You know, once you once you get after. Noah, you quickly get to Moses. You know what I mean? There's only that short period of the Bible where you go from Adam to Noah, yes. and then then you get to Moses. You know, Moses is as ancient as it gets, really. And everything that's written there, man, it, it's shockingly historically accurate. So I was fascinated by that. And so that kind of led me, my whole life, that kind of led me down this road, and I didn't realize it until I was like in my early, early 20s, That I I was really just interested in ancient history and ancient people, and I I had been studying my whole life to be an anthropologist, but didn't know that's what I was going to do until I was like—actually, until uh, I remember it, I was in a totally different career, and I always loved ancient history, and I always pushed it out of the back of my mind. I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. It's not even realistic. Like, I can't go down that route. How am I going to make money? So I was trying to do all these other things, and so— my girlfriend and I, who's now my wife now, Lauren, we're uh, laying on my bed and we watched the movie The Lost City of Z. Oh yeah, um, and we yeah. we watched The Lost City of Z on my laptop, and it was the first time I'd seen that. I had read you ever had read the book. I've read parts of the book, but like, um, you know, I haven't like read the the full thing. I I understand the story, but like, uh, as far as have you ever read River of Darkness? That's about um, Oriana. I believe it's, it's no, Oriana's I expedition. I haven't. So, like, I- I'm vaguely familiar with with Oriana's expedition and his history and everything. But there's so much else that's going on in South America that I haven't really looked into the stories of people who I don't, like, deeply, fully understand what mm. they did. Um, but I liked the movie. Read... I would kind of skip around different parts of the book, like the parts where it actually talked about Fawcett. I would read that, but you know, yeah, it, for
1: for people who aren't following though, <clears> right <throat> now with Lost City, can you just explain who Percy Fawcett was and what he did?
0: Yeah, yeah. So he was a um, well, I know he was he was in the military in in England. I, was he a colonel? Right? I think he was. Believe a, so. Yeah, I think he was a colonel and. Uh, I don't know the story behind why his family was kind of defamed, but it was like his father did something kind of dishonorable or something that, that brought him like a lot of shame. And so it it seemed like the English uh, government had basically commissioned him to do a job in South America where he was going to map, I think, like the border of Brazil along the Amazon uh, River. I think so. And yeah. he wanted – so they they basically – they gave him like – the most expendable mission ever. You know, they were like, well, if you do this, you can reclaim, you know, your family's honor. You can make up for something that had happened in his past. Um, it never mentions that in the movie. I'm sure it's mentioned in the book. I, I believe it being mentioned in the book. Yeah, it's been a but, while. I'm trying and, to remember the yeah. details,
1: and I can't right now. It but was it, like... It sounds familiar. It was
0: like 2017 that, that, I, that I read that. Um, but, um, yeah, so they basically send him down... And during his, I believe his first expedition was like two years long. And so he maps it, but he ends up falling in love with like the indigenous people that yes. are there. And he ends up, uh, from my point of view and what I get from, what I got from a little bit I read from his book and what I've read about him online, obviously the movie. Um, he kind of, while he was down there, he developed a lot of resentment for the uh, aristocratic world that he lived in. You know, yes. and it, it's what it seems like to me. And so I'm not a Percy Fawcett expert by any means, but he developed a lot of uh, resentment for the aristocratic English world that he lived in, and they had these like preconceived ideas that they were the end-all, be-all of all civilization. And so he kind of, it seems like he developed this little vendetta where he wanted to prove the whole world wrong, that there was something still out there that was like a high culture. And he had been hearing the rumors of it while he was there. And he had been hearing hearing it from the indigenous people. Like and El Dorado. So, <clears throat> similar to El Dorado. Um, but what's interesting is, and this isn't something that you would learn, like, I don't know, man. You, you would have to, like, really dive into, like, the archaeological writings of the area. But it's it wasn't actually El Dorado that he... Well, <laughs> I guess he maybe thought he was looking for El Dorado, but there is a... Um, there's a legend that we know that we have better uh, evidence of now, which I, I think it's pronounced like Ziput, and hmm. it's it's with an it's with an X at the beginning. Um, that is a city that may have existed near the Mato Grosso region that's never been found. But so he's down here in the Mato Grosso, which I think is like southern, eastern Brazil, and El Dorado would have been. Northwest, so he northwest um, South America up near Colombia, and so you know. But you also have Manoa, which was like a lost city that was never found. Which people get those two. Have you ever heard of Manoa before? I don't think so. So Manoa is like another uh, legendary city of South America that was filled with gold that people were looking for as well. But then, you know, those kind of like fade into each other. But from my point of view, and there's not a lot of anthropologists or archaeologists that are looking into this exactly or have much of an opinion on it, El Dorado's kind of written off as like, a it's just a legend that just, you know, it never existed. It really wasn't a city of gold. It really wasn't a city that had that much gold, which I don't quite understand that because... We know that there were cities of gold. Like there wasn't just one El Dorado. There were dozens and dozens and dozens of them. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It, so that
1: had to do with what was the <clears> name
0: <throat> of the monk or
1: priest who was documenting the journey with uh, Oriana <clears throat> when he was first sailing oh, yeah, across yeah. the Amazon.
0: Uh, man, I just heard his name today too. I was I was Shit. reading I was reading before I was reading on the plane here. Um but yeah, yeah, there's a guy that documented um there's a guy that documented it and I think like Um, Nina Fawcett dug up these documents and it kind of like is that his daughter? That's his wife, yeah. I don't know that he had a daughter, I think he had a oh, he had a son, Jack and yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Nina's his wife, so one of the
1: sons died on the yeah, we'll we'll get there,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I'm like paying a bunch of yeah, we're we're going around, we're talking about
1: Fawcett just to bring mm, people back around. The guy Oriana, we'll talk about him more, but he's the original conquistador who went fully across the Amazon, anyway. Continue on,
0: so, um. Basically, uh, Fawcett's wife, I think in, in the movie, it doesn't highlight this, like you really don't understand what's happening, but she finds like the chronicles, because Spanish chroniclers were pretty common. Like they, they were writing down almost everything that they were seeing, um, but it was usually like one guy. Mm. And so if those documents were lost, they were lost. And so even in Let's say this is 1912. That Percy, it's like per, uh, Percy Fawcett's really trying to get these expeditions going and get money and get funding for it. Well, Nina ends up going through some some library there in in England and she finds the um, she finds the document that's written by a chronicler that was with Oriana, mm. and uh, and I think I think it basically just adds validity to what he was saying about the rumors that he was hearing. The fact that there was a Spanish chronicler there in the 1500s talking about the same thing that Percy, Percy Fawcett was talking about uh, added a lot of validity and it helped him get the funding for his expedition. So uh, I don't know the full amount of times that he went, but I think the first time he went is 1906. Yes. And then he was, you know, the, his last expedition was 1924, 1925. And so well, I'm
1: trying to think when when he, <clears throat> the last one, he was like around, he was coming up on 60. I think I'll pull up his Wikipedia. Yeah, when you're I believe so. Yeah. So he had done some other ones. But when he went on these things, mm-hmm. the thing that can't be ignored about this guy is he was a fucking savage. Yeah. I mean, this dude was intense to the core. You're talking about going into the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. in the Amazon, uncharted territory. You don't know yeah. what lost tribes are out there, people yeah. who maybe have been attacked before by other humans and maybe don't like them too much Mm -hmm. you know you don't forget the 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 state of the environment all the different lethal ways you can die there down to the fucking bugs that can land on Mm -hmm. you this guy would not slow down he was like if you can't keep up well you're just lost like you're gone A couple months ago, I rushed home from a meeting to catch the second half of my beloved Philadelphia Eagles. They were in a tight game against Washington, and I wanted to lock in for some second half fireworks. Problem was, when I logged into my Comcast livestream account, it told me the game could not be streamed in my region. Now, for others, that would have been a disaster. For me, it was easy. I just turned on my NordVPN, changed my IP location, and voila! Game on! Eagles won, by the way. This is why I love NordVPN, though. With the click of a button, I can do everything from changing my location, to stream a game To protecting my data from hackers To shopping for better prices online And actually on that note For all my last minute Christmas shoppers out there It's okay, I'm just like you too Did you know you could often get the same products For an even better price Simply by using your NordVPN To change your IP country of origin? Yeah, buddy! So if these benefits sound good to you Here's what I need you to do Go to nordvpn.com julian Once again, that's nordvpn.com julian The link is in my description below and get your own NordVPN today. Also, for the rest of December, when you use that link to get your own NordVPN, you can get a 2-year plan for a huge discount with an additional 4 months for free. Once again, that's nordvpn.com/julian or just use that very link in my description below. So go get yours today and thank you to our friends at NordVPN for sponsoring today's video. Yeah, th- there was yeah. one dude who went with him talked about extensively in the book, mm-hmm. which the book we're referring to is by David Grand, which became the basis yeah, of the yeah. movie Lost City of Z. But there was, a, there was like another major explorer who usually did the Arctic. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what his name was, but the guy yeah, was like, yeah. he was one of those old school like British, we all better than thou, like explorers mm-hmm. or whatever, exactly what you were talking about. And so I forget how, but he was like, they forced... Like the British government or something forced him to have to come with Percy Fawcett on an expedition, mm. and they literally like ended up leaving the guy behind. And yeah. he thought he was like such a pussy. Like yeah, Percy yeah, yeah, Fawcett yeah. was like, "This guy can't ever come with me again." Yep. And then did he? Maybe the end of that was even like he didn't make it. I don't remember,
0: but well, he was an intense. Yeah, yeah, dude. yeah. He he made it. He made it, and then he ended up uh, like filing a bunch of grievances against percy Fawcett, blah 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 and then a few years later when Fawcett goes back to the jungle he gets so you know they had they had so he was uh, for a lot of his expeditions he was going along the same trail that he had been cutting for years but he would have to recut it you know but he was taking the same routes going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper he wasn't just taking like a different route every time he went back and so he would have runners that were on horseback like going up and down these trails delivering him newspapers delivering him letters (laughs) they knew kind of where he was going to be and he left markers for people to try to find him which like think about the runner think about like those people i don't know how many guys are in like a team of runners it could just be one guy but he ends up getting a newspaper that that same guy went on some other expedition and then died uh on that that was it yeah Yeah, yeah, didn't he go back wasn't it i think he went back to the Arctic. yeah he went back to the arctic and and then he died yeah 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 Yeah, yeah. that's that was the end so <clears throat> um, so Percy, Percy Fawcett, he ends up going back several times, uh, but I don't know the exact number of expeditions that he, that he went on, but every time he was there, he would find, he'd find pottery, relics, nothing, he would, he never really found, well, he found villages. Uh, he found villages that were, that were, that had mounds where people were, you know, they were, uh, cultivating the land and everything.
1: When, I'm, I'm sorry to butt in mm-hmm. here, but I mm-hmm. just want to know this for context, because <clears throat> the first... Expedition was around like 1906 or something like that. Mm-hmm. When again did like what he thought was El Dorado come on his radar and become this the the sole focus of his expeditions? There,
0: uh, I think by the end of his first expedition, he by the end of the first expedition, he had that was like his main prerogative because he he had mapped, I guess, the fullest extent. What he wanted to know the source of the Amazon River. It's it's something along those lines, but I, I don't think that's like really harped on what the what the actual purpose of his first expedition was but by the time he was done he was fully obsessed with the city being you know with this lost higher culture um but he had been hearing many of the same legends that uh oriana and pizarro heard in south america as well and so yeah he ended up chasing this down and then when he decided to retire, it was his son that talked him back into going on the last expedition. His son, his son resented him, and then his son grew to like admire the expeditions that he had gone, that he had been on. And then he encouraged his dad. He was like, "Let's go back. Let's go back." And so, you know, his, I, I think obviously he wanted to go back. And so they went back. And, and that they, was like
1: 1923-ish, mm, something
0: like that. Tw- yeah, yeah, like 24, I think, and then oh, no. maybe. Yeah, it's it's 24, and then in May of 1925, they make it down to the Mato Grosso region of Brazil, and Where,
1: is that I can pull? How do you spell that?
0: So Mato Grosso is just M A T O, Mato, uh, motto, or maybe T T O, and then Grosso is G R A S S O. Yeah,
1: is that it? State of yeah. Mato Grosso. Yeah, okay. yeah.
0: So I believe that that's um. Yeah. Got okay. It. So okay. that's like. That's like south Central okay, so that's close to Bolivia then. Yep. so where he went missing um, do you see that on like the lower left side of um, the lower left side of Brazil where it kind of squares off and it's bordering Bolivia right here It go down a little bit more right there a little bit up to the left of that right there right there that's where he went missing basically oh, exa- basically exactly yeah yeah basically exactly where you have your your mouse at. Um, I'm like 90% sure that that's exactly where it and was. Where's at. the Amazon River <clears throat> in relation? Here? Um, I think it flows right there, right? Yes, that's yeah, it. yeah, yeah. So yeah.
1: wait, this is way south of the Amazon. Yeah,
0: yeah. So he had been he had been going off on all different, you know, following all different rivers um, ever since that first expedition.
1: Now, why did he do so? Mm. For the context, that, that last expedition, mm-hmm. which would have been... I have his bio up here on Wikipedia, which people can pull up. So he disappeared in 1925. So the last yep. expedition was like 1924 or something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. It should be May of, of 25 that he went...
1: Right. Um, so at some point, he stops writing back because, you know, like <clears> you said, <throat> he'd get the news out <throat> of there, and then they're like, oh shit, he's missing. But like, what made him think that the that the actual event or or the actual place would have been so far off the beaten path of the Amazon because in in the writing of Oriana's Mm -hmm. trip, they're talking about just going down the main Amazon. Did Mm -hmm. he think that, like, maybe they had neglected to say they went down all these other estuaries and offshoots or...
0: Yeah, I I would imagine... (laughs) I I don't... I would love to... um... I would love to do a deep dive on what exactly Fawcett knew about Oriana's expeditions, or if he even took them into consideration very much. Uh, I'm sure he he had read all that he could. But at the same time, in the Amazon, and we haven't touched on this yet, but in the Amazon, when you look at ancient civilizations, like if you want to know what was going on in the Amazon in the ancient world, look at the Andes. So look at colombia ecuador peru bolivia um look at andean civilization look Mm. at the look at the cultural aspects and you can see that something greater and more ancient from the amazon bled into that world so like where paul lives the the ancient cities that are that are near him which i'm not exactly well i mean there's a there's a ton out there so he's probably near uh He's, I th- want to say if he's in the western Peruvian Amazon, he's probably near like Moche culture. Uh, so there's like Moche Valley of Pyramids, um, but he's also probably not too far from uh, Inca territory as well. So all in these ancient Peruvian cultures, as well as Ecuadorian and Colombian, you see cultural aspects from the Amazon, from all the way from the east coast of the Amazon in these ancient caves that have been found. Because we've only gone so far into the Amazon and studied like ancient cultural aspects, we don't really know what's deeper in. And you can see these ancient cultural aspects bleed out into the civilization around it that's not absolutely covered in jungle foliage. So there's something more ancient and bigger that was going on in the Amazon that bled out into cultures around it. So so to answer your question, um, I think personally, and man, there's only probably a handful of other anthropologists that actually really look into it, and. I mean, really a handful, maybe less than a dozen. But I think he was following the legends of a different city that wasn't El Dorado and it wasn't Manoa. It was something that the people, that the indigenous people in that region had been telling each other about for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. They just didn't all remember exactly where it was. So he was following like very loose rumors. But I don't think he was looking for the same city that Oriana and Pizarro had looked for that's interesting
1: mm-hmm. that's I, I I hadn't heard that
0: but <clears throat> I did pull up the last
1: known location he had was dead horse camp which mm-hmm. I, I think he named that yeah yeah, yeah yeah that's where, okay, okay that's where it is on the map okay. but perhaps like he was because that's way off that's that's pretty close to where you were with, with yeah your finger but, I might be a little bit wrong but but still like that's that's way off the beaten trail there. I mean, mm-hmm. he. So his son was with him, and his son's buddy was with him on the yeah, yeah. last one. So they had three of them. So- and I mean, this could have been. Look, it, it, if you're in the afterlife and you get to find out the answer, Ooh, what happened? Mm-hmm. It, it, it could. It could be everything from the craziest shit that we can't even imagine, and the aliens got him or something. It could be something like that. I'm not saying it is, or it could be something as. Oh, ho-hum man. is like up oh, a tree fell on him yeah, or like yeah, a jaguar yeah. got him yeah because you'd never find the bodies the, oh, the, the no, thing about no. the amazon that paul laid out so perfectly yeah. as he does is that i mean shit will decompose in there inside of a day yeah with yeah, all yeah. the species and, and just the land itself I, y- Yeah, you're yeah. not going to find it's,
0: anything it's it ha- um the amazon and the jungles of central america have very acidic soil so mm. when when anything that's alive is buried in the soil, it will be decomposed in no time. Um, we've never found like in Central America—not to derail—but in Central America, we found the tombs of Olmec kings, and there's no biological, uh, no biological material left at all because the acidic soil just eats it up and, de- and decomposes it all. But um, you know they've found some stuff from per- from Percy Fawcett's expeditions. They found like his wooden. So, dude, these guys were carrying around wooden crates on. Yeah. Like they he they, they had. So you know how sometimes when you watch the movie and and I think like, if, I recommend anybody go watch the Lost City of Z. It came out in 2017 um, with like Charlie, Charlie Hunnam, Hunnam and, yep. and Tom Holland. Yep. Well, at the end there, when it shows that they're um, that they have the little expedition at the end where it's just. Um, where it's just Percy and his son, Jack. Well, that's that's kind of an exaggeration of, of how slim their expeditions were. Um, you know, it wasn't just Percy and Jack. It was also their, their friend, Raleigh, but they also very likely and definitely had a team of, like, local people that they were getting to haul around all their junk. Like, these guys weren't hauling around yeah. all of their stuff on their own back, you know? But,
1: like, people for for people at home mm-hmm. thinking about this who don't look at this all the time, you know the easy thing to forget is that we're thinking of like going through jungles and stuff, where or like climbing a mountain where there's like pathways. There's yeah, yeah, no yeah.
0: pathways. Yeah. No pathways. As at all. you
1: were pointing out earlier, they had to chop their way through everything. You are. It, this is the brush, man. Mm-hmm. So it's like you can see a foot in front of your face at all times. That's it.
0: Yeah. It's yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and the thing I think about when I'm out there and not talking about the Amazon, I haven't been to the Amazon. Um, but when I'm in Central America, Southern Mexico, like Chiapas, um, you know, man, anywhere. That what I always think, like when I think of the most likely thing that happened to Percy and and uh, well, I'll say this real quick, and then I'll, I'll talk about like the dangers that that I think about when I'm out there. So they, I believe the legend is like one of their horse died at their camp, so they call it Dead Horse Camp. And he just has to go a little bit further, push through this area where the indigenous people that he had been building up a relationship with, they knew there was this white man that came around every so often to like bring them gifts and stay with them. So he would build a relationship with these people. And they told him, you go on further, there's like cannibals down there. There's there's bad people down there who will eat you. And he had been staying with cannibals as well, but these were like you know these were vicious people who were kind of terrorizing the other uh tribes of the area well he wanted to push through it to find like his gateway to z and so um the indigenous people followed him from dead horse camp for five days like they stayed a little bit further behind him and they would see the smoke trails in the sky from Mm -hmm. this camp and on the fifth day there was no smoke trail and so he he, could have been eaten it could something could have happened to him yeah I think I think about that... Tough way to go. Or I think about, I mean, dude, what would happen if, like, his son got bitten by a Fertilance? I'm talking about one Fertilance in 1925 kills you. A what? A Fertilance. So, um, Fertilance is probably the most dangerous snake in the world. Definitely mm. on this side of the hemisphere, definitely in the Americas, um considerably more venomous than a rattlesnake. Considerably. You know, you could survive, like if, if, if a rattlesnake bit you on the leg right now and you took two Benadryl a day for the next seven days, you'd probably make it um, with no like... Medical
1: intervention. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. You, you would make it and you wouldn't lose your leg. Fertilance bite, no medical intervention, you die. No questions about it. No questions about it. Or, or your whole leg rots off it's, and you might survive. Oh, it, what do you mean it rots off? So like it, it as the venom goes through your body and courses through your veins, it mm. slowly like the the, uh, the toxins rot the <gasps> rot all the flesh. And I've <sighs> seen you can look up like uh, you know people at home. You can look up untreated Fertilance bite. If you don't, I'm die, not gonna do that. Yeah, yeah. if you don't <laughs> die, your leg turns into uh, a charcoal skeleton. A charcoal skeleton. Yeah, yeah. It's just like it's just like black rotted bone. I- I've seen. So they gotta chop it off. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Something, you know, maybe at that point it's not the venom killing you, but something from your rotting leg is going to get into your blood oh. and it's going to go to your heart and kill you. So eventually you die. Yeah, there's only— um, There's no way to stop it. <clears throat> well, with medical intervention. Not nat- not like naturally, no. I don't believe so. Unless, unless there's something deep in the Amazon that's some kind of like medicinal— um, Well, dude. Yeah, I man, that's what Paul
1: talks about <laughs> all the time. They yeah. said they have a sap for that. Instead of an app for that, with everything, because there's all kinds of. I mean, I don't want to get too like woo woo with it, yeah. but he said like you can figure shit out out there.
0: Well, you know, man. I mean, I, I, you know, uh, I don't ever shy away from the fact that like, uh, not to like go into religion too much, but like uh, I'm like Greek Orthodox Christian. Like I think I think that the like the whole world was built for had a purpose, and even if it didn't. Dude, would it really surprise you if our planet grew and evolved in such a perfect way that no matter what could happen to us on this planet, there's a natural cure for it? Like, yeah, be pretty you know, that, fucking that, kind awesome. of, that kind of balance, yeah. that wouldn't surprise me at all, you know? You're um, Greek Orthodox? Yeah, yeah, Greek Orthodox. So that's... Your name's Reagan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah You're but,
1: missing like a few O's and L's there.
0: Oh, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. Well, Greek Orthodox is just like um, based around the... Uh, letters that Paul wrote to the churches as to how the churches should so be. So you're not Greek? No, no, no I'm, no, I'm not Greek. But you're Greek Orthodox. I just subscribe to that, like, you know, if you're going to be a Christian, you should take it uh, seriously. And, and You know, because a lot of people in the United States, like, Christianity has become a white United States religion, but it's really not. I mean, it's a Middle Eastern Mediterranean mm. religion that comes from Greece and comes from the Middle East and Africa you know so yeah you you go over there people take it seriously you know um very that,
1: interesting that's that's a new one I, I i mean i've been around a lot of greeks in my life my best friend is greek, oh really a yeah, yeah, yeah. whole bit i yeah, never yeah. met someone who was like a part of their religion and community who wasn't actually greek
0: oh really that's fascinating yeah yeah yeah. it's it's not i i didn't grow up like greek orthodox i just i just uh that's like within last, veered that way yeah within the last couple years as i've like really gotten deep in anthropology, um, it, uh, I don't want to say shook some of my views, but it certainly did. And then I just kind of drifted towards something more serious. Because, I mean, you look at Islam in the United States, those people are very serious about, yes. the, about their religion. You look at yes. Judaism, people are very yes. serious. Christianity has become like some laxed shadow of itself. You well, know? it's got a wide range. It's yeah, got yeah, people yeah, yeah, who yeah. take
1: it Extremely seriously. And sometimes I might say way too seriously. Yeah, and then yeah. it's got people who are like, Oh, I'm a Christian and like they couldn't even tell you nothing. like who Jesus was, right? Yeah, there, yeah, there's yeah. a it's a very Christianity, you're right, it's a very fascinating diaspora. Maybe that's mm-hmm. the right word to use for that in, mm-hmm. in this country. It's not you know, you don't hear people define themselves that way. Yeah. Whereas you will more likely hear people define themselves as Jewish or define yeah, themselves yeah, yeah. as Muslim. Yeah, yeah. Right, like yeah there's, yeah and and there are people who define themselves very heavily as Christian, as mm-hmm. I said, but there's more who don't, yeah, interesting,
0: yeah, yeah, I'm not like over the top about it, i just I'm just open about the fact that I have like a faith in a higher being sure. that that's more than you know that that there was a mind before there was ever matter, you know that's that's the way I believe that it was all done in a purpose, but I also believe that God is probably more similar to the force in Star Wars than he is like a man sitting <laughs> on a cloud, yeah, you know what I mean, like, I feel like it's probably just a being that is a mind that's in everything. But
1: do you think not, on that side note, yeah, though, yeah, do yeah. you think do you think it's more the idea of like at least knowing whatever it is there's something that kind of watches over us is what's important about that belief versus what they're actually like or how they appear. Do you understand what I'm saying?
0: Oh, yeah. Like like the simple fact of knowing there is a God yes. is more important than what that God is like? Said way better than yeah, I yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how—I I, I don't have a good answer to that. Um, probably for a lot of people, yeah, if they just knew that there was a God, that'd be more important than what that God right. is actually like, you know? Right. So, yeah, I believe that, like, regardless of anything, there was some kind of— uh, we're here. We're here on purpose. Maybe now. Maybe we're, we're, you and I aren't here for a specific purpose, but we're here on purpose. That's that's kind of what I believe. But uh, that's why I say, like, you know, when I hear Paul talk about like there's a sap for that, I think like, yeah, I would imagine that if a fertilance lance grew on planet Earth, planet Earth probably also naturally grew a remedy to cure you of a fertilance lance bite. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Um, <clears throat> It's kind of one of those things, it's like, I can't prove that, but it's like, it's like... uh, It's a balance of nature. Yeah, 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 yeah. think
1: I think you're probably right about that, because we have to think about all the things that we have no fucking idea right now that are around us that could cure something. I mean, for all you know, we could find the cure for cancer in chocolate, you know, Mm -hmm. like something... Or cocoa Mm -hmm. beans. Like, I'm not saying that's what we're going to do. I'm saying, like, there could be... It could be the, the things where the answers are there all along, and when you look at human history, that is kind of what it is. Yeah. People are like, oh, shit, wow. You know, they started with the rock and they're like, "We well, could mold that into a round thing. It'll be a yeah, wheel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's the answer is just <clears throat> pulling, carving down the statue a little more over time. Mm-hmm. But the Amazon is just the ultimate to me, yeah. like, as I was telling you, I was, I'm obsessed with it because it's the ultimate, like, symbol Mm-hmm. of it all because it's where it's just more wild
0: yeah it's everything's it's, crazy it's the last it's the last true frontier of humanity i would say i mean the ocean too but there's way more in the amazon than there is in the ocean i i, w- I would imagine you know yeah as far as just species and, and things that are significant to mankind sure yeah i think so when you say significant to mankind what do you mean <clears throat> like like we could go we could go in the amazon we could i definitely i definitely think that a city could be found that people will go, oh, yeah, that's El Dorado. Oh, yeah, that's Manoa. Oh, yeah, that's Ziput. Oh, yeah, that's that's this culture city that people have been looking for. Boom. You know, like our minds are opened up to a whole civilization.
1: But you don't think we could find 10,000 mm-hmm. leagues under the sea where well, we've never been? We haven't, tra- <laughs> I mean, we talk about having <clears throat> not traversing as humanity yeah. a lot of the Amazon, which is very true. Mm-hmm. That's one part of the Earth. What's the percentage of the Earth that's covered in water again? I'm gonna say the uh, wrong number. I'm if say it's I say more it. than seventy percent, it's yeah, a lot. Yeah. Whatever it is, it's more a than
0: sixty-five percent.
1: And I'm also not. I don't remember the number, the percentage of what we've actually known, explored. But it's low. Mm.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, so you it's don't very think low. there could be crazy shit down there? Um. Well, I'm not ever gonna say never. I would love. I would think it's fucking. Damn, I didn't. I mean to cuss, but you I, can I, yeah, say yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. This is New Jersey. Yeah, I would my think. Friend. I would think it's crazy if there was something. Um, you know, giant living down at the bottom of the ocean. But the problem is you got to think about like uh, the pressure that would be on a giant, um, you know, if you're talking about finding something that's very small, like, like uh, not, not necessarily microscopic beings, but, but small uh, beings that live down in the ocean that we've never actually seen before uh, aquatic life that we've never seen before. Sure. I mean, I think there's probably millions of species, maybe not millions, but, Definitely thousands millions, definitely millions. maybe so yeah. uh, of species that we've never seen before that are you know this big but if we're talking about like finding a megalodon that's been living at the bottom of the ocean um probably not you just gotta think about like the pressure that would be on that being how it would be pushing out against the water around it it'd have so much pressure on it and it would have to eat a sufficient amount of calories to stay alive and how's it going to find those calories if we don't have evidence of of a whole plethora Mm. of prey down there that are massive enough for a megalodon something like that to feed on you know what i mean like i know the giant squids go down to the bottom of the ocean sperm whales go down to the bottom of the ocean but these are kind of anomalous things that are exceptions sure um i'm not a wildlife biologist but i think you're thinking about the underworld
1: or the under ocean species a little bit Mm. yeah centric to just what we know though yeah. Oh, you yeah, know, yeah. Like yeah. I'm, and I, not to go like crazy with shit, but did you see Danny's episodes with Jack Sarfati recently? Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Yeah. Whew. Jack is on fire. But yeah, you know Jack is one of those guys who definitely comments on a hundred percent of things when he should be mm-hmm. commenting on like sixty percent. I'm guessing. So there's got to be some crazy bullshit in there. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. <laughs> the one, I'll tell you, the one time where where they were they were talking about. Danny was asking him if, if there are aliens or something living under the ocean. He's like, oh, yeah. No, I I know. I've seen it. I, 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 yeah, I've I been yeah. told by the guys who've seen it and, and have been there. Yeah, You know, you hear that and you're like, what if he's right about that one? What if there's like, you know, they figured out depressurizing down by where, you know, the, the crust meets the core, mm-hmm. so to speak. There's something in between those two, but either way, yeah. you know. That there's no way to say there isn't.
0: Oh yeah, I'm never gonna say that. Yeah, I, I, dude, I'm I'm all yours to anything. Um, it's funny when people like that speak so confidently. You're like, yes, you're like, it's very funny. You're like you've got to be full of shit. But you what would you speak that confidently if you weren't here's you know? the
1: th- here's the thing about him, and I would <clears throat>
0: I'm not talking about him in particular I'm no, saying, no, but yeah.
1: but he's a great example like mm-hmm. and for people out there who have not seen those podcasts, I shit you not they are two of my favorite podcasts ever mm-hmm. like I've probably listened to both of them three to four times now, but you know like with Jack, he is smart as hell mm-hmm. oh, he yeah. does have a real resume, yeah he's got. Proof for some of the things he talks about mm. with—I'm not talking about like his encounters and stuff like that—but some of the work he did as a physicist with the CIA. You know, there's some tape of that and everything. And you know, he knows a lot of people. The guy name drops someone every fucking two seconds. Oh, I know, it. I know. It's <laughs> so funny. But like, I—if I, you're not from this part of the world, like he's a New Yorker, mm-hmm. and he's like, it's hard to explain. But there's there's people from this area, New York, New Jersey you know probably up boston stuff like that where it's like they're they're a dick Mm -hmm. they're a little crazy Mm -hmm. but they know they're a dick they know they're a little crazy they expect you to know that and you're supposed to like them for it Uh, and it's funny okay and it's and like they're making you laugh at the same time which they get a lot of joy out of yeah yeah yeah. i'm friends with a lot of people like that so when i hear a guy like him talk i've known so many jacks in my life like
0: it just lights me up but yeah, it, Still, was, it was a culture shock to me seeing his episode. Because oh, I was telling you earlier, I'm a, I'm a Texas boy. Yeah. So, like, we're used to everybody being very polite. Yeah, no. And if, and if you're a little <laughs> bit, if if you're not even, you don't have to be rude. But if you're not polite, you're just neutral, we think you're rude. You yeah, know? well. So, it was a culture shock for me watching that episode. I was like, I
1: was like, man. But even, a, like, when he's calling, the, hey, you dumb little fuck. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, even yeah, when yeah, he's yeah, doing yeah. that, he's like, learn. <laughs> Come yeah. on, learn. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. it's like. And Danny got it perfectly. <laughs> like, Danny is so yeah. fascinated by people from New Jersey and New York. He's like, I understand what this is. But, mm-hmm. like, it, it, they come by it honestly. <clears throat> Still, though, you know some of it's got to be bullshit because he comments on fucking everything. Mm-hmm. But then you're thinking, like, what things are real? Like, what things has this guy really been around yeah. and seen? And you don't know. It's Your guess is as good as mine. Mm-hmm. But that there were a few moments in those podcasts that got me like, woo. But that was
0: one of them where I was like,
1: Yeah. I wonder if he did get shown something on that. Mm -hmm. You
0: know? Well, you know, man, like I think about when I what's funny is I have never been somebody who I don't know where we got from El Dorado, but I'm gonna bring it back. We're coming back. Don't worry. I'll keep you on track. So you keep um, going. (laughs) What's funny is when before I got into Studying like really, I've always been fascinated. Like I described earlier, I've always been fascinated in ancient history. Um, <clears throat> but you know, ever since I was a kid, uh, all the way until today. But it wasn't until I started like viciously studying ancient history and uh, and studying, you know, one thing that one thing you have to study is like oral tradition, which is uh, mm. legends from ancient cultures. Well when you look into that, you find a lot of weird stuff uh, that pertains to perhaps something to do with aliens, perhaps something to do mm. with, with, uh, perhaps something to do with some kind of higher being that was in the sky above people. Like, um, when, uh, when Western chroniclers were going across North America, they were gathering stories. And, uh, this is where the, um, I think it's the runestone was found. This is the same state. So uh, golly, was a runestone found in Kansas or Kentucky? I'm not an expert on the runestone, but it, it was a culture that was there in, in that same area. It was like a mound builder culture. And so, like in the in North America, we don't have pyramids, we have earthen mounds, which were which served the same purpose as pyramids. A lot of times mm. there were tombs, but and a lot of times there was just a place that the king of this civilization would stand on to address his people. Well, a lot of these earthen...
1: M- ma- you described it as earthen mounds, though?
0: Earthen, which is... Yeah, yeah, so it's made out of earth. So we don't have, like... We don't have the same kind of... Uh, not everywhere in the United States do we have the same kind of bedrock that people Understood. would use... That, okay. that, w- that would I be used you. to build pyramids. Um, <clears throat> stone pyramids. and uh, But the oral traditions had passed down... Um, and, dude, there were people in the 1700s Uh, 1600s that were living in the united states that were seeing like silver silver orbs flying through the sky that had lights on them i mean this um this is just something that i learned in passing uh, recently but i I verified it this is like at the beginning of the summer i learned this but this isn't my uh forte but it's just interesting you come across a lot of weird stuff about higher beings i don't necessarily know if aliens exist that it's that it's just some small green being, or if it's like us, or if it's some kind of, you know, God, whatever. But you look at ancient cultures, look at everything that they do in the name of their gods, Mm. you know? Uh, All of the feats that we see throughout ancient history, almost all of them were achieved solely for these people's God. So it looks like like religion built society, basically, you know? And
1: that's the fascinating thing though with Mm -hmm. like the whole point of like trying to figure it out Mm -hmm. if we did figure it out think of all the even today where there's more like you know a main three to five right Mm -hmm. think of if like all of them were wrong or even just one of them was right and the others all found out that's a huge meaning of life crisis Mm
0: -hmm. oh man i know it dude yeah it's crazy so Yeah, so I I just wonder, you know, a lot of times, like, man, I wish when I hear guys like like Sarfati talking, it makes me wonder, you know, how much of that is actually true. Um, And so that's kind of where I get, uh, that's really what fascinates me about studying lost cities, you know, El Dorado, Manoa, uh, Ziput, um these lost cities that are in the amazon i i really only study it like like an armchair explorer for now i you know i need to build up like contacts to go right. down to the amazon and everything um but man there's just so many um so many rabbit holes to go down and, and i'm not the type of person that you know we we're talking about wildlife biology in 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 the deep ocean uh, i'm open to just about anything you know well that's good so,
1: man yeah. but i mean we got <clears throat> All the way there from talking about a possible yeah. snake bite killing Percy Fawcett's oh, son. I know it. I or know Something it. like that. I know it. You know what I was going to say. Road.
0: What I was going to say about that is um, when we were talking about we were talking about like medicinal cures to uh, different ailments that can happen to people. Well, I was wrong in saying that there isn't uh, any type of medical natural medical intervention that could save somebody. I am. I'm working with a guy in uh, Guyana or Guyana. Uh, have you ever heard of that in South America? it's, yes. it's a small country, English yeah, speaking.
1: Guyana. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And sometimes the Y is per- replaced with an I. Um, but I was I'm talking to an expeditionary group in Guyana uh, about leading an expedition, um, maybe sometime early 2025, late 2024. And he's telling me that there are all kinds of stories. And, and a lot of the bedrock there is, is actual bedrock that could be used to build stone um, stone monuments. And there's a little bit of evidence for that. But like the deep Amazonian jungles of Guyana haven't really been thoroughly explored. Almost nowhere has been in, in the Amazon. Right. And so what this guy tells me, his name is Anders Anderson. and uh, He has his own expeditionary group. He tells me, that there are people out there who have some kind of remedy that, like, Western doctors won't go deep into the jungle and study these people, you know, for what reason? Probably to, you know, make money. But um, there are people there who can get bitten by a fertilant snake. And he's seen it happen. The local indigenous Guyana people will get bitten by a fertilant snake, and they'll go back to their village. They won't go to, like, a Western hospital or, or, you know, something like that. Yeah. And he'll see them again. In a, a few months later. So they have... Oh. And so there's something going on there. He doesn't know what it is. He hasn't been to their villages, but he sees the people come out of the villages to interact. You know what I mean? They're halfway, like, quote-unquote, yeah, civilized. Not, yeah, yeah. They're,
1: they're not the lost tribes that shoot you on sight with yeah, yeah, a yeah. six-foot although,
0: although those do exist still. Those exist, yes. Um, and so he'll see them the next week. And so he's like, like, how's your snake bite? And they're like, oh, good, good. No, we, we good, good. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and so he's like, he's like, there's some kind of there's some way that they're treating it back in their villages um that's probably some ancient indigenous uh cure to a fertilance or maybe any kind of snake bite that western doctors aren't going in and studying do the same thing is happening in western peru it'd be interesting you know you should ask paul about it there are people there that will get bit that will get bitten by uh animals that have rabies and people will survive there's, there's like oh, cures shit. for ailments that are out there. And, you know, r- there's only uh, 30 documented cases. I-, I could be butchering this, but there's only like 30 documented cases, cases of people somehow surviving a rabies bite uh, in Western countries, right? right? In Peru, there's like several dozen cases of people getting bitten and then they survive. And in some of those cases, it's like their genetics are able to fight off rabies because they've been... People in their lineage have been bitten by animals with rabies so many times they have like a natural immunity to it, and there there's also rumors that there's like cures to it that are deeper in the Amazon with these indigenous people that have been living there there you know since the beginning of time yeah so there's little hints that there really is stuff out there um you know I know Paul talks about it all the time, but for big things like a fertilance bite, which is a hundred percent fatality rate to of somebody like you and I. Uh, or or rabies, which is 100% mortality rate. There there are cures out there in the Amazon that people are using to survive these things. So... It's amazing. I mean, yeah, there, yeah. there's a...
1: There's so many little things that are still unknown. Well, there's many things that are still completely unknown in the Amazon, but there's so many simple things that, like, you don't even take into account mm. that are just deadly there.
0: Yeah, man. Um so when I, what I was talking about a second ago was what I think about, like when I think about, man, what could have happened to Percy and, and his son and their whole expedition team? Well, when I'm going through the jungle in, say, Chiapas, man, these fertilant snakes, they, they coil up They're you know, maybe, yeah, how big, maybe. How big do they get? Uh, they have a wide uh, range in sizes. I mean, they can, go, they can go from being two feet long to sometimes they're six to eight feet long. Um, And they they it ranges wildly, but their color pattern is that of a yeah. If you want to pull it up, yeah. So if you looked up I'll like put,
1: I'll put a picture of this mm-hmm. in the corner of the screen.
0: Yeah. So you know they look like so if you click on that first one right here. Yeah. Just any of them. I mean, they look like mud and dark leaves.
1: Yeah. It looks like a pretzel right there. Yeah. Yeah. Like exactly. A soft pretzel.
0: So they they blend in very easily, and so you know I know that they were probably wearing snake boots. But um you know you get bitten by one of those guys and you're done. You're and, finito. <clears throat> now yeah. do
1: they do you have to like step on them or like kick them or something for them to attack no, or do they no, they no, they'll just no. bite you?
0: And these guys they come like uh dude it's 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 so dangerous and this isn't the Amazon. The Amazon's probably likely more dangerous, but it's so dangerous that when I stay at resorts in Chiapas, which is southern Mexico, which is very similar. I mean you're looking if you go into the Lacandone jungle in Chiapas, it's going to look like the Amazon. It's mm. it's pretty similar. There's more bedrock there that, that the Maya used to build temples. The Amazon, it's all clay.
1: Real quick, to all my Discord people out there, the Julian Dory Discord is officially live. I put the link down in the description below. So go hit that, join the community, and say what's up. There's all kinds of features in there, and I look forward to hearing from you guys. Let's get it popping.
0: So that's the hard part about guys like Oriana looking for... Uh, this city of El Dorado, if he came across it, if it wasn't populated anymore by that time, the Amazon has completely grown over it, and all of the earthen structures that are there are completely grown over, and Spanish explorers aren't going to be able to recognize where they're at. Um, so where they're at, all that what would be bedrock is all completely clay. Mm. The, the bedrock is very, very, very deep in the western Amazon, but you go to the central eastern amazon it gets to be more bedrock where you can have st- where people could build stone monuments that would be very visible earthen ma- earthen monuments aren't going to go away but they're going to be grown over and you're going to think it's natural mm. so um <clears throat> yeah man when you're out there in the jungle oh my god um i haven't seen anybody else talk about this but one of my biggest fears is um in my whole life i've never been bitten or never been stung by a bee but in the Amazon and in Central America, there were laboratories that were trying to take uh, that were trying to take like hu- the American honeybee and African bees, and they were they wanted to make the Africanized honeybee. To and the American bee, the American honeybee, and the American er, and the African bee are very docile bees that can be used to farm honey. You know, and so they wanted to make an even more docile like slave army of, uh, of these bees that would produce honey like crazy. Well, what they ended up making by taking these two very docile oh, breeds no. was these bees from hell. Oh, no. And they escaped whatever facility that they were in. I, I want to say it was probably just one facility. I've read it about this it just like one time. And so now you have billions of Africanized bil- honeybees. Oh, with a bee? Yeah, yeah. That, that hover in armies, multiple armies all across the Amazon. The whole Amazon, they're, they're all across the Amazon and in the jungles from Panama all the way up to southern Mexico. So you're walking around the jungle and you hear that, brrrr, and it's it's an army of millions of these Africanized honeybees that fly nice. way up in the canopy. And if they think anything's going to threaten their queen, they attack it. And so these guys are super aggressive. They'll chase you, uh, you know, 10, 12 miles an hour um, for over a mile away from, I guess, where their colony is at that time, they'll chase you for over a mile. And the problem is, when you're in the jungle, at least in um, at least in um, Central America, you have to worry about you know your natural instinct that would be if you're exploring something, you want to stay along a body of water because that's where you know an ancient civilization. Like if I'm if I'm a guy like me who's looking for a lost city or lost ruins or even like a satellite. Um, town so you're going to want to stay along some kind of body of water fairly near that kind of higher up where you know Rain isn't gonna pull up, and there's a whole lot of things you want to look for. But, anyways, you know, the you're more you talk about this, water.
1: the more I feel like you <clears> know, <throat> you and Paul going down there and doing your thing, and me hearing about it in this podcast studio is nice, nice and good. That's enough. <laughs> one day, you'll, one day damn. you come down.
0: I was talking to Danny about that. Yeah, there's, no, we,
1: we've been we've been working mm-hmm. on trying to go with Paul for like a year, but he's been back and forth so much, and then when he's yeah. been there, it's been like disastrous. So like, oh, really? like if we went down there with him and i mean he's committed like if mm-hmm. shit goes down while we're there he's gotta go like he's got you know and mm-hmm. it's probably not stuff that that we can we can do with him so mm-hmm. we will do it at some That's point tough. but yeah, like yeah. he's paul walks a talk man yeah, like he's I, all I business that. when he's down there but at some point like you definitely got to go down there with him for sure Lovely. it's just crazy hearing about all these things there, there's like there's another bug out there I think this was in David Grant's book. Okay. I might be wrong about that, but I think it was in there. There's another bug out there. I don't remember the name of it, that it just looks apparently like a normal fly or something like that. Oh, but a bot fly. Is that right? Maybe. Mm-hmm. It'll land on your lips, like it goes for human lips, and it'll bite you. You'll feel it. Maybe you won't, and you won't notice a damn thing. And then 10 years later, out of nowhere, boom, you're dead. No way! Like it just kills you years later. Whoa, okay. Okay. And like you may not have even known you got bit. So when you wow. look at all the different things there, like yeah, I mean, every, anytime you go out, every time Paul goes out mm-hmm. in there, like he's risking his life like crazy. It's, yeah. It's it's a whole yeah. different jungle. Than yeah. The well, concrete and, jungle and to, here.
0: Yeah. 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 To give people to give people a a idea of the difference between where Paul's at and where I go. So Paul, he's kind of. I'd say he's a mix between like, um, you know, he talks about he talks about the wildlife, but he's also like an ecological conservationist. Yes. You know yes. what I mean? He's really important. He, you know, to him, it's the conservation of the Amazon is very, very important. For me, what I care about is locating and mapping ruins that are in Central America. I like to know like how much more is out there that we can discover. That's a lot easier then you know Paul when he goes out he's like drifting into the jungle where there's not a whole lot of direction. Correct. You know what I mean? It's just this vast expanse that goes way beyond the horizon. In Central America, you know where you know where the end of this jungle is gonna end. If it's fifty miles that way, it still ends, you know? And several miles in any direction. And anytime I go, it's never been overnight. It's all day out and then back. Right back you yeah. know Yeah, and then I have, like, a little uh, bungalow, whatever thing that I'll stay at. Um, Danger is still similar. Um, It's more likely that I'll run uh, into—it increases the likelihood with the jungles being so much smaller that I run into people, which is like a—that's something that I'm kind of just becoming aware of. Like, I'm I'm planning a—I want to go—I want to do an expedition along the Usama Center River, and there are refugees that— I guess it's like a recent war that was going on in Guatemala, but there are refugees mm. that are being hunted by the Guatemalan government that live out near where the Maya ruins are, and to make money, they go and loot the ruins and then they sell stuff on the black market. That's like one way that they oh, make whoa. money, and so you run into those guys, you know how does that turn out? I don't know, it's never happened to me well um, let's yeah, let's not find out, yeah Christ, yeah, so um, you're not gonna find looters in the Amazon. But I mean, you you know you could sure get you could sure get lost, and you could run into like uh, you know I know he said he said he's had, he's had run-ins with loggers, yeah. and oh well you could run into the to the uncontacted as well. That's not going to happen in Central America. There's no. there aren't really uncontacted. There's like farmers that are way out in the middle of nowhere that will shoot you if you if you're on their property, but you know there's no uncontacted tribes left in Central America.
1: Yeah, I mean like you said, he's got the mm. and again we said this early on, but we're referring to mm-hmm. our Paul Rosley, but He deals with the loggers who are being funded, Mm -hmm. the gold miners, which is now a huge fucking problem down there. That's something that, like... I wasn't even aware of until I first got to know him, but that's crazy what they're doing to some mm-hmm. of those places. Like, have you seen some of the pictures
0: of that? Oh yeah. Oh my God! It's yeah. just like it's a, like a, it's a giant scar through. It's the a barren jungle.
1: wasteland in the yeah. middle of what used to yeah, be. Yeah, it looks same.
0: like it looks like uh it looks like the glowing deserts in Fallout. Have you ever played? Yeah, it? yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'll put a. I'll, I'll have a picture of that in the corner <laughs> of the screen for that last part right there we just talked about, but, you know. The uncontacted tribes, though, which we don't know how many there are, we can estimate how many, we can estimate Mm -hmm. the total number of people that exist like that, but we really don't know. Yeah. These are, and this is what we're going to get to. I've Mm -hmm. been brewing on it to get to like the full history of South America Mm -hmm. and how far back it goes. Mm -hmm. So we can get there in a sec. But like these are the people who, in some cases, were the victims of the rubber boom. In they're 1900s and have decided that all human beings who come in are evil, Yep. which I fully understand. After that, that's another thing Paul talked about in my episode with him. But, you know, when Henry Ford and some of those guys were trying to create like Fordlandia down here and they mm-hmm. were just mm-hmm. ravenized. I'm going to make up a word, but like they were just killing all these people, making them, making them work for, I guess, like Fordlandia. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the victims were these tribes. And so they... They they don't shoot you on sight. They shoot you before you know they're in sight, mm-hmm. and they don't shoot you with, with bullets. They shoot you with six feet six foot bamboo tipped yeah arrows that are you know mm-hmm. it, people
0: don't realize how big arrows are like <laughs> like bows and arrows you know in movies they look like they're three feet long new. they're taller I'm only five ten they're taller than me sometimes yes. Hollywood you
1: know? had to do that for the screen <clears throat> grab yeah yeah you know, and,
0: but... and and when those things hit you you wish you got shot with a
1: bullet yes. And so, you know, he's had guys that he's, like, been next to who get hit with those things. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just how they're wired, like, how things are passed down, because it's like, oh, that's evil, get rid of it. But, you know, the mystery, like, the places that among the numerous countries who have at least part of their real estate comprised of the Amazon down there, the places that none of these governments and no people have ever been is... There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot oh, yeah, there that they yeah, haven't yeah. seen. And so we are guessing oh, at yeah. what could be in there. Yeah. Like I always said, like, if there's a good place for the aliens to hide, it's underwater in the Amazon. Yeah. You know, like, like there, Paul's talked about there being pyramids out there and stuff, Definitely. which which we, we can get to for sure, but pyramids that no one's ever even had a concept of, and you don't know, but it's it's just such a wild, wild place. And again, like, I, I want to get to the beginning of this, yep. if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So... We know of Christopher Columbus sailing over here in 1492. Mm. We know of the, you know, Cortez with the Aztecs. And basically call it like the 14 to 600 to, or to, or to 1600 type conquests of yeah, the conquistadors, the yeah. where then they first brought people over, you know, got rid of some of the Native American tribes across the Americas, mm-hmm. pushed some farther into land. In America, we ended up developing like all our land. And yep. so... Obviously, those tribes only exist as they have little reservations now, which that's a whole separate conversation. But in South America, as we've laid out, because of the terrain, there's a lot of places where different tribes known and unknown exist. When you're looking at the history of South America, though, you seem to think that there is a strong possibility, correct me if I'm wrong here, if I misrepresent what you say, that there were conquests to at least South America mm-hmm. long before Columbus was here. I think you talked about like the Phoenicians
0: possibly coming there. Well that would have been that would have been Central America. Yeah, yeah. So um, <clears throat> I don't know if you want me to go all the way down this rabbit hole, but no please but that's why we're, that's yeah, why we're yeah. talking so, about so <clears throat> so Central America, um, yeah, there's there's some evidence that there were people from the old world so, you know, we call it the old world. You know, you're looking at Africa, Europe, uh, Middle East. That would be the old world, Northern Africa, Old World archaeology. That's what it's referred to. There's some evidence that there were people from that area that, were, that had visited. And there's also some, some scarce, sparse evidence for ancient Chinese people sailing over to like uh, the, the North, I'm sorry, North America. But, um, anyways, so at the site of La Venta, uh, which I was at in January of this year. There's a, a monument called Monument 13 that was constructed by the Olmecs. The Olmecs, they reigned from about 1600 BC to about 300 BC. And this monument is estimated to be around 1000 to 900 BC. So it's mm-hmm. called Monument 13, the Traveler. The reason it's called the Traveler is because there's a, there's a foot logogram and there's a couple other logograms that are like very, very early forms of Central American writing system, and so when it's deciphered, um, they just they think that this is naming this person the traveler, and so he's got he's got a um, he's got a what looks to be a turban on. If it's not a turban, it's insanely voluminous long hair, which is not common at all in the Olmec world. All Olmec leaders are depicted as being bald, as having no facial hair and no head hair. Okay, mm. so this guy either had long voluminous flowing hair, which d- it doesn't look like that. It looks like he's wearing a turban that's flowing behind his, behind his head. He's carrying a flag and he's got pointed shoes and he has like a little, kind of like a beard like you do, but just a little bit longer. This is a pube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pub fest over here. But, <laughs> but uh, he's, he's got a little bit of a pointy beard, a pointy mustache, and his features don't look at all Olmec. So number one, if he's wearing a turban, that's great but there's no evidence at all of turbans anywhere in any of the americas at any point there's also no evidence of facial hair in the americas um why is is that like an evolutionary Mm. thing yeah yeah so so it's traditionally thought that ancient (laughs) americans came from from asia right they they migrated over the bering strait well if you look at asians there's not a whole lot of facial hair going on there either. And if it is, it's not these thick, robust beards that you would see in the Middle East, right? Mm. So it looks like as people migrated over, you know, tens of thousands of years out of Africa into Asia, for whatever reason, they lost that evolutionary trait of growing thick facial hair. And then so by the time they get to the Americas, it's almost completely gone. So Native Americans aren't growing facial hair. Mm. Um, In North, Central, or South America, I'm sure there, there... there was some, but there's not evidence that it was like a that it was a prominent thing. And so you have this guy who's wearing a turban, he's got a big beard, and he's wearing pointy shoes, which are not seen anywhere in the Americas ever. He's not only seen on that, he's also seen on a Stila, I think it's like uh Stila 17 Monument 40 something. And he's depicted the same guy with the turban, beard, and pointy shoes is depicted talking to somebody who looks Traditionally Olmec with this shark effigy above him, and what's interesting is is this is the oldest depiction of a shark anywhere in the ancient Americas, and the Olmecs, despite their proximity to the Gulf Coast, are don't there's no evidence that they were seafaring, that they were building boats and sailing out into the Gulf Coast. So we don't have any evidence or there's and we don't have any settlements Olmec settlements along the Gulf either. It looks like they were deeper into the jungle. Near where the rivers would be, so that they could so they could harvest maize, which is just corn. That's what that's what made the Olmecs powerful. Do, do we know
1: <clears throat> how big that community got at its height? Like how many people um, were talking here?
0: No, I, I don't I don't I haven't seen estimates for how many Olmec people there were, but there were three capitals. You had Tres Zapotes, San Lorenzo, and La Venta. Okay, and, um, and where are they today? Like that's uh, two of them are in Veracruz, Mexico, ne- next to the Gulf, and then the other one, Tabasco. I'm sorry, the other one, LaVenta, is in Tabasco. But they're all fairly near each other. And they just found another one. Uh, it's a site, uh, anybody who's watching, you could look it up. It's called Aguada Phoenix. It's a one-mile-long raised platform that they found deep into the jungle through LIDAR scans. And this one's, uh, I think it's on the Mexican side of the border next to Guatemala. This is deep in the jungle, way more, way more east than anybody thought that the Olmecs went. And it, mm-hmm. it, it would be the biggest... Central American site ever found. It will be when they actually go to it and start excavating it. Um, <clears throat> so, they carve this depiction, and then they also find a clay stucco head at this place called San, at, at an Olmec um, capital called San Lorenzo, and it's this Olmec head. You could probably look it up, um, but, uh, yeah, Can if you look up... you type in Olmec head? Well, if you look up Olmec head... Well, this is going to show you the the giant Olmec head. So this is all this is all southern Mexico. Just to okay. remind everybody, now we're in southern Mexico. Um, but you could look up like clay head San Lorenzo. It's it's a tough thing to find on the internet. I mean, what we're talking about, nobody is talking about this at all. But the Olmecs, they always depict themselves as being bald, wearing these caps. And when they're not wearing a cap, they have they have bald hair. And all of the other depictions around Mesoamerica, like cave drawings, depict them bald as well. So there's, it's tough to find on the internet, but there's a depiction, it's like a 3D rendering of a man exactly that same way with a, um, with a turban and like a goatee style beard. Mm. And so what's interesting is this was all about 950 BC, let's call it. That's the year that that mm. actual... All three of these monuments. So the one that depicts the traveler, the one that depicts the same traveler talking to an Olmec person, and this San Lorenzo 3D stucco life-size head. When did we find this? Mm. Uh, the very first Olmec monument is found in the late 1800s, and okay. it wasn't officially excavated until like 1925. Like it, basically exactly the same time Percy is in the jungle. It, Dude. The first Olmec head is found. A lot happened between mm. like
1: sub-1840 uh, and yeah, yeah. Such a cool time period, isn't it? Like, whoa.
0: Yeah, like people started exploring efficiently. You know what I mean? We yeah. had We had just enough technology to do it efficiently, and then – Dude, like a pin cushion, the whole earth gets gets excavated and, and uncovered just within I don't know eighty years at the most. Like yeah. that 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 second wave, that second age of exploration, because you had like uh, you had Oriana, that wave of exploration, but a whole lot of people died, and it wasn't that efficient. Yeah, and then you have the next wave. I had
1: I had Matt LaCroix in here. Mm-hmm. In 1906, British archaeologist Arl Stein set out on an expedition to Central Asia. His mission was to find treasures of the greatest lost civilization mankind has ever known. Upon arriving in the city of Dunhuang, he encountered a Buddhist monk who had told him that he had discovered a secret library known as the Cave of Thousand Buddhas, Mm. okay? In that library, he found these manuscripts from all over the world, from different like Hindu texts and all these things, but one of them had an ancient map in it, and the map depicted Atlantis as a region that existed from west of the pillars of Hercules as a region all the way to the Yucatan, and that means that those ruins off of Cuba are part of Atlantis. And we ended up doing a couple episodes together. But he, one of the things he looks at is Eridu and when that was found. And, like, the timeline of that even matches, like, a a lot of these same years we talk about, Mm -hmm. like, the early... 1900s and then like right after world war one like yep. 1920 there's more excavations King supposedly stuff like that yeah yeah, yeah. And, and like now we're talking about south america mm-hmm. like there's so at yeah. percy fawcett his last expedition 1924 1925 yeah. started in the early 1900s over there it's crazy how much humanity from like across the globe put resources into that in that Yeah, period.
0: well, and what's interesting and I I will wrap this up. I'll I'll finish my point about the Phoenicians, but what's really interesting is at that time there weren't celebrities like we have today. How we keep mm. up with like, you know, like we were talking about football players, you know, yeah. uh, keep we keep up with celebrity sports players, uh singers, you know, th- this wasn't as common. Who we kept up with at that time was political and royal figures and explorers who were writing reports and to get published in a newspaper. Those were the celebrities, and that's why this kind of stuff was funded because the public actually cared about that at the time. Um, So those are like your proto-celebrities were were the explorers. Um, So what's interesting is all of these monuments are dated to be around 950 BC, and they just know that from the very scant – Basically, I don't want to go down this whole rabbit hole of how like carbon dating and relative dating works, but they just know by carbon dating and relative dating okay. as to when these artifacts would have been created. And so it's about 950 BC. Well, what's really weird is that exactly 950 BC, right around that time, the Phoenicians out in uh, near Lebanon in the eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea are launching expeditions out of the gates of Hercules. Which are that's the that's the um, yeah it's the Strait of Gibraltar or did I I may have, I may have called that uh, I, I think, think I that's think I, miss, right. I think I misspoke earlier because I I said that I said that people came from from Asia across the, dra- the Strait of Gibraltar I meant to say the Bering Strait is okay. how they came down to North America yeah the you're fired. We're kicking yeah you yeah, yeah the it. Phoenicians went out of the Strait of Gibraltar which is actually the Gates of Hercules was at the yes. time and they launched. Uh, seafaring expeditions they're the best sailors of the ancient world, uh old world at least, but maybe of all the ancient world and so they wanted to sail all the way around the coast of Africa and then back and they were going to be the first civilization to do that well, they didn 't just send out one boat, they sent out many boats, and several of those boats went missing, and a couple and one or two of them came back and so what they what ended up happening was they were sending boats out of the Strait of Gibraltar west. And what they found later on, like in recent times when we've sent mock boats out there and see what happens, how the current takes them, if you go too far west of the um, northwestern coast of Africa, if you sail out too far west into the Atlantic Ocean, it will pull you down into the Bahamas and oh, into yeah. the Caribbean. And so what, hap- what, they, what some people theorize happens, and I mean, this is like a frontier of archaeology, what some archaeologists would call friends, just as much as people talk about ancient lost civilizations like Atlantis. This is fringe, you know, in a similar way like that. Um, They think it's, it's possible, and I say they think, but it's just a small group of archaeologists really think that it's possible that some lost Venetians sailed too far west, and then they end up drifting down into the Atlantic, into the Bahamas, through the Caribbean, and then they hit the Gulf Coast. And they may have been... You know, when they arrive in this new area, they may have been touring the different areas. What then, years are we talking again mm-hmm. with that? This is this. Both of these things happened. The, exp- the Phoenician expedition and the time that the um, that the monuments that the Olmecs made depicting the traveler. It, these are both happening at 950 BC. Oh shit! Yeah, these things are both happening at. 950 And BC. I
1: can't remember if you did that. There's so many details mm-hmm. today, so I, know, I apologize I if okay. if a couple things we come back to. Mm-hmm. But what was the what was the full history of
0: the Phoenicians again? Oh, I couldn't. I'm not an expert on the Phoenicians. Just, just as they, uh, just as they okay. relate to the New World. Um, but the Phoenicians are are really like uh, just a Middle Eastern religion, similar to the they they came. Um, uh, they're similar to the Canaanites, you know. They they maybe descend from the Canaanites, but that might be an answer. That might be a question for Matt to to answer. Okay, I'm not an expert on the Phoenicians. I just know that they were doing this at this time, and there's no archaeologist who dispute the fact that that the Phoenicians were actually doing this. The disputed idea is, did they drift across the Atlantic Ocean into the Bahamas, Caribbean,s and the Gulf Coast? And so, if they did, <clears throat> so if they did, then... they may have been. Some of the first people to make contact, right? So, God, I wonder what that would be like. Uh, wouldn't it be amazing? Yeah, oh I mean that... God. So, we don't have evidence that they were in the Yucatan or that they were in the Caribbean, but in the Yucatan and in the Caribbean, these cultures hadn't grown to the height of the Olmecs yet. They weren't riding like the Olmecs were. So... It's possible that the Phoenicians were stopping at different places, and then they came across a society that was like a higher culture, and then they communicated for a little bit. But what's really interesting is that there are Phoenician writings of a vessel that came back from the far west of that ocean. They sailed too far west, and they found a continent, or they found something, and then came back. And it's just very, very scant uh, writing evidence that's left of that, it really doesn't describe it very much. It, it doesn't. It doesn't even mention it being like a huge continent that they found, which would be what? What is the nature of that evidence? <clears throat> like, uh, they're like uh, so in the Middle East, the writings that you're going to find are like a lot of times clay tablets. You know, maybe this big or maybe this big. And do we know what's going to
1: be written in? Like how long they were written after? Uh, do we have that information? No,
0: no, I don't, I don't think that, I don't, I don't think that that evidence is known, but that's not really my area of expertise Got it, either. Sorry. Fair enough. Um, so, but yeah, man, I mean, it's, you can make a pretty hard or a pretty good case that, yeah, maybe there were some Phoenician vessels that sailed over and, uh, and landed in the Gulf coast and could have sailed back, but maybe, maybe realistically they didn't, they died off and they're. DNA is so weak that it doesn't trace back down three thousand years later to today. Like we can't find Phoenician DNA in modern-day Olmec people. You know what I mean? Um, so it's it's a tough thing. But yeah, there's certainly some stories of uh, some stories that are like that of people who were here before Columbus. Now I don't know as far as the uh, as far as there's some ideas that the Templars were here something like that on behalf of Spain and that they were aware of Aztec religion. Um, and then so when they invaded Mexico, they were able to like perfectly execute their invasion. Yes. I don't I don't know that I subscribe to that. But what I think is weird is that um is that Moctezuma you know and all the Aztecs believe that Quetzalcoatl which was their god yes. similar to Varicocha, was going to come back in 1519 and, and Cortez did. arrived yeah, i mean that's, Cortez did. that's yeah, really yeah. strange you know um but cuz you know, he i mean he just yeah
1: they they laid waste to those people cuz mm-hmm. they thought he was a god
0: yeah 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 so it's it's um it's it's kind of interesting how that how that played out but yeah, there may be some, and, and I would certainly think that it's likely that there were people who were seafaring from the ancient world that drifted off and ended up somewhere in the Americas. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, that's that's pretty much my views as far as as far as pre-visitors before Columbus.
1: Yeah, I've been having these conversations on and off podcasts a lot recently, with mm-hmm. whether it be different guests who come in here or people I'd, where things come up in life that we're talking about that involve stories and being Mm -hmm. passed down and and stuff. And, you know, the the difficult thing about any history, but particularly the farther back you go, ancient history and thousands of years, is you're working with things that, in that case, you discover, right? Mm -hmm. So you discover tablets, you discover these small resources that people even had to write things down Mm -hmm. back then. And first, you got to figure out when they're from, and try to get it as close to the possible exact yeah. date that there is. Yeah. And then secondly, you got to figure out how removed they are. Time, mm-hmm. distance, which people they're talking about. And then probably thirdly, you got to figure out if other people had that story before them. Mm-hmm. And when they wrote it down, and the same questions apply and and it and it gets back to the fact that I mean, you can see it on a daily basis in our mass communication global society now where You know, just statistically speaking, people change stories. You tell me a story right now about something in your life. There's probably a good chance if I'm telling that same story to someone else tomorrow that 5% of it or something or 3% oh, yeah, of it yeah, changes, yeah, for sure. right? And it's an Absolutely. honest thing. It's not like you're lying. You just, yeah. it's a natural thing human beings mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. And so you think every time 3% of a story changes, yeah. I mean, it doesn't take too long before you yeah. get to the point where, well, what are we, what's even true about what you're yeah, saying? Exactly. And everyone starts to believe it. So, you know, I think there's, I, I don't think, I know there's there's a ton of inexplicable things about our world and about the meaning of our life and human beings and why we exist in different cultures and, and stuff like that. But, you know, I'm constantly trying to pick out what what holds water. and And I also get stressed by the idea sometimes, I would imagine you do too, but don't let me speak for you, that like you're studying a bunch of things and you're hoping you're going to be 1% right about it because maybe it will explain some things. Mm -hmm. But there's so much that, you know, you could have all the technology in the world and it doesn't matter. Like, you're trying to study history here, shit that already happened. Unless you can time travel and go see what it was, you don't really know. Yeah.
0: Yeah, man, that's... uh, I think about that a lot with with South America. South America is is probably... when I was on when I was on Danny's podcast, we got talking about like uh, we got talking about people look at people are looking at ancient Egypt to be some of the evidence for a lost civilization like Atlantis or something like that. And man, I really think that if you want to look at some very exceptional lost civilizations, you got to look at, at ancient South America, and there are some things there that are totally completely inexplicable. Um, it, it's it's if have you ever seen have you ever seen the stone masonry of the granite that happens that that was made at Machu Picchu or Sacsayhuaman or Alante Tumbo Cusco Lima um, maybe <clears> but so, it's not ringing a bell dude there there are there are stones there that are the size of this wall that are two feet thick that that were moved in an in inexplicable way people in yeah people in so that's that's the twelve sided stone that's on. Uh, that is on one of the walls in Cusco. And so is that's Is this what you're talking about? Yeah, it's similar to that, but but I mean, yes, that, that's exactly it. Um, All right, I'll put this picture in the corner. Of the screen yeah, of so people. that's that's the 12-sided stone that's on one of the one of the temple walls in uh, Cusco, Lima or I'm sorry, Cusco, Peru. And uh, there's absolutely no explanation as to how the ancient architecture in a lot of these South American places was uh, built. A lot of people think that it was built by a civilization that existed twelve thousand years ago. A lot of people think it was actually done by the Inca, which were alive just in the fourteen hundreds. You know, mm-hmm. they were there for the Spanish, uh, you know, uh, conquering of of Central and South America. And if you're looking for a true lost civilization, or I'm sorry, lost ancient lost technology, you got to look at these sites. Um, It, they're made out of solid granite with far more, it it had to be such, so much more complicated than any of these sites that are, that are constructed in ancient Egypt. They're rounded, pillowed stones that look like they're fused together. You can't fit a hair between these stones. And the problem in ancient South America is that when you try to explain it, these sites are up on top of mountains, and ancient South Americans didn't have Beasts of burden. Their, their biggest beast of burden was a llama. Like they didn't have, mm. they didn't have giant oxen horses that could move these big stones. They had. So how did they get it up there? No, there's absolutely no explanation. Now, here's the thing that's really interesting: is that the source, like how I was saying, how religion builds civilizations, the source of all that religion comes from somewhere in the Amazon. Mm. So when we're talking about the history of South America. So South America, it looks, like, it looks like the ancient history in South America starts in these uh, coastal civilizations near a place called Coral, uh Coral, Peru. And these are some of the, I think they are the very first pyramids in the entire world, built before the pyramids of Egypt. So Egypt, the, the very first pyramid is the Step Pyramid of Djoser at the Saqqara necropolis. That was built in about 2650 BC, in 3300 BC, the ancient Peruvians were building their own pyramids in what's called like the Pyramid Valley on the coast of Peru. And so this is uh, about 3000 BC. And so there's this this lineage of these cultures that are getting wiped out by these cataclysms, which are called like uh, El Niños or El Niños that Mm. come in, and it's just this insane amount of torrential rain and flooding that would wipe out their civilizations and so somewhere in there this uh this the origins of the religion around varicocha begins because civilization is recreating itself out of these floods well, you see the patterns of these civil, of the civilization that's continuing and they're learning how to build structures that can withstand all of this rain and these cataclysmic events. And in South America, there's earthquakes all the time. So their buildings and their temples are falling down. Well, then this big El Niño, El Niña comes in and wipes out their civilization and they disappear from the archaeological record. And we know that because out there, it's it's very, very similar to Egypt. If you were to pull up a picture of the... Valley of Pyramids or Valley of Moche Pyramids in Peru and look at it it would look exactly like ancient Egypt. It's very arid and the biological material is preserved very well. So,
1: how do you spell that? Valley of Moche?
0: Yeah, yeah, Valley of Pyramids and then Moche.
1: That's not it right there. Right? Valley of Pyramids.
0: Yeah, yeah. So Moche is going to be spelled M O C H E.
1: Yeah, that that autocorrected. I don't know why that did that. I had it. Want to correct it to mice?
0: There we go. All right, boom. I'll put that in the corner of the screen. Yeah. So you go to images, and then right there. Tell me how much that looks like Egypt. Like that top left one. Look at all of that. That looks just like Egypt. It's very arid. If I were to show you that and tell you it's ancient Egypt, you would instantly believe me. And so, but people don't even know about that. That the Valley of Pyramids exists. Yeah, see that see a giant structure behind them and the little um, yeah. mortuary temples in front of it. It's
1: built of the earth.
0: Now that's thought. Well, no, 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 these are all stone. In South America, it's but all. This stone.
1: one we're looking. But that's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. This one we're looking at here
0: looks oh, like in it's the, earth in the back. That might be that might be natural, but they oh, okay. may have they right. may have used it. Hold but on. you see, those structures are man made, and that's all made out of stone. And this is the... So, okay. You confused <clears> me for one sec, just because yeah, yeah. this was the first
1: one I was clicked on. This is stone all of stuff. So. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And you're saying that there's a similar feel to like the pyramid or the sphinx with this.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean it just it just looks similar. It's okay. it's not that there's any kind of connection. Okay. Um, and
1: then this other one, so there's two pictures here. This other one was the one we were looking at. And mm-hmm. you're pointing you're pointing more towards this stuff in yes. the foreground. Yes, yes, yes. Not yes. this.
0: That that might be natural. I don't think that that's a pyramid. Right. I don't yeah, think. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. But Cuz that's clearly earth right there. Yeah. Got it. So okay. <laughs> so, anyways, um, you see this evolution from about 3,300 BC, and but these civilizations keep getting wiped out, and you can tell that by looking at their buildings and, and you know other studies of, of the area. I won't go down that rabbit hole, but anyways, civilization kind of dies out after this cataclysm hits Peru and just wipes everything out. So then they they've tried to build so many cities on the on the coastline of Peru that they have to flee higher into the Andes. So a very, very small population of people build this city called um Chavin de Hontar. Mm. And it's less than a thousand people, they estimate, live there at first. And it looks like it looks like the conjoining of two different civilizations that live on the coastline, because one of them built U-shaped temples and the other one had um sunken sunken circular plazas. And so we see these two different civilizations that are living on the coast of Peru. Uh, around 3,300 BC, 3,000 BC, they both get wiped out by the same cataclysm, and the survivors of that move into the high Andes and they build their own civilization, Chavín de Hontar. And we see the same archaeological tech or same architectural techniques used in the building of these temples that we do on the coast of Peru. So we hmm. see these civilizations that were destroyed joining each other. Now, what's really interesting? What happens? during the construction of Chavin de Hontar, that we don't see on the coast of Peru is that their religion changes. They now have a religion, and they're worshiping this fanged jaguar god. So, there's this thing called the Ramundi stone, and then there's the stela of Chavin de Hontar, and there's there's something else there that depicts this fanged deity, which is like this half-jaguar man holding these stalks of corn. And... What's really interesting is that their pottery that they start using at Chavín is the same style of pottery that was found in a cave on the eastern side of the Amazon. So this is all western Amazon um, in the highlands of of ancient Peru. Their style of of pottery is exactly the same as pottery that was found on the opposite side of the Amazon that comes from 6000 BC. Now we're at about 1300 BC. So over the course of four to 5,000 years, this pottery style had drifted over all the way across the Amazon. Mm. And when this civilization was rebuilding, this style of pottery met Chavin de Hontar and so did their God. And then all of a sudden this God from a civilization that's living in the Amazon arrives in Chavin de Hontar. Chavin is a massive success because of their religion and they spread all across the Andes and they create, they're the mother culture that got their religion from some civilization in the Amazon that's never been found. And that civilization planted the seed of their religion in Chavin, and Chavin birthed the Andes, the Andean civilization, which is like the ancient Inca and all of the cities that were rumored to be El Dorado, come from a civilization in the Amazon that's never been found. So that's, that's, that's the big rabbit hole that I'm, you know, going down. So... Man, it's it's uh, it's amazing. And so we're able to know that simply because of their style of pottery. We see this depiction kind of emerging from the Western Amazon into the Andes. Whenever, you know, when people find pottery, there are depictions of this fanged deity. There is a half-man, half-jaguar god that was the god of a civilization somewhere deep within the Amazon. And this god continues all the way from Chavín, which is... 1500 BC, all the way to the Inca, 1400 BC. He's worshipped the entire time. Um, At sites like Tiwanaku, there's this giant monolithic statue at Tiwanaku that is the same god. And what's really interesting is that about the time of of 900 BC, in the Olmec world, all the way up through Central America into Mexico... um, they are worshiping their own form of this jaguar god being. Oh, Yeah, their priest would go into like a shamanic state and they would carve these jade figures where their priest would like turn into this half jaguar god being. And so there's a lot of, you know, some archaeologists think that there's got to be some kind of connection between there's a high culture, Shavin de Hontar that's connected to some other high culture in the Amazon that to this day has never been found, the, next, the nearest high culture is in uh, southern Mexico with the Olmec, right around that same time, 1000 BC, and boom, they pick up that same half-human, half-jaguar god image. And so, yeah, all across Central and South America, we see evidence of this religion, of these half-man, half-jaguar gods that are being worshipped, and we know that it comes from the Amazon, but where in the Amazon has never been found? And so when you hear all these rumors from indigenous people, like when Oriana is is exploring Colombia and Ecuador, he's constantly hearing from, and it's, it's probably happening for two reasons. One, the indigenous people knew that there were cities of gold and riches that are spread all around that area. And two, the people that are telling Oriana, like, Oh yeah, go attack those people. They're the ones with all the gold. They don't want. They don't want Oriana to mess with what they have. They say there's way more wealth over there. So right. it's probably happening for two reasons, and so it's kind of one of those things that we were talking about. That's like a half truth. So you're trying to, you're trying to track those down. Well, what's interesting in Colombia, there was at some point later on, um, there was a tribe that was rediscovered called the Muisca tribe, and so how do you spell that? Um, Muisca, um, it's going to be M-U-I-S-C-A. So the Muisca tribe of Colombia. <clears throat> so basically what El Dorado means is it's like the gilded one. And, um, <clears throat> and so the, this, this right here, if you go down to the bottom, right, that, that golden right here. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like depicting this boat and it's really hard to see, like, I'll um, put it in the corner of the screen for yeah, people. Ancient, ancient South American iconography and, and, uh, their art is almost like mind-bending in a way. And there's no evidence of this, but it's pretty widely thought that a lot of their religion is inspired by um, psychedelics. And so that's why a lot of their depictions of their gods and and things like this are very almost crazy in nature. It's like a psychedelic experience just Mm. looking at this ancient art. And so basically what this is depicting is an ancient... South American king who's on this boat um, with all of his golden idols next to him, and he would go out into the he would go out onto this sacred lake, and he'd be like peppered or sprinkled in gold, and he would throw all of his gold idols off of his boat, and he would he would like step into the water or dive into the water and wash himself off of all the gold, and that was basically a display of how wealthy he was, and so that was one of the stories that Oriana heard. Well, we found a tribe who said that, like, their oral traditions allude to something very similar to that, and there's a lake in, um, there's a lake in Colombia, and I don't know why the name is escaping me, because all the lakes are very, uh, you know, all the names of, 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 the ancient Americas are very foreign, but, um, there's a lake in, in Colombia, it's a really small lake, um, but, the Spanish were trying to drain out this lake and find golden idols. They wanted to
1: drain it out. How the hell would they do that?
0: I guess that it's, it's, um, I think it's like a volcanic lake. It's like a, it's like a little crater. I mean, I mean, it's a tiny lake, dude. You could probably throw a stone across it. And they were trying to build a canal to drain it out, but that didn't work. And so any of these rainbow, Lake Gustavita, Lake Tora. Yeah. Lake Gustavita. I bet you, I,
1: I think that's it. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Small yeah.
1: body of water in a forest
0: fringe crater yes, northeast of, Bo- of Bogota in central Colombia. <clears throat> that's got it. I, I'm pretty sure that that's it. The, the photo looks exactly like it. You see how small that is? And so the Spanish were trying to build canals to basically... I'll put the map or the drain out the, out the corner of the screen. Yeah, yeah. The Spanish were trying to drain out the water to get all of the golden artifacts that were at the bottom. And some people would dive in and find stuff, but they were never able to drain out the water completely. Well, later on, you know, the second wave of exploration that comes a few hundred years later, people do end up finding artifacts in that lake, golden artifacts, just Ooh. like just like the people stated. But the cities weren't around. You know, where were, where were the cities? Cities that still haven't been found. And this is near the Amazon. So what it's thought is that that lake that's mentioned in the legend of El Dorado, that lake just in that story may have been found, but it may have been, and this is very common in the ancient Americas, it may have been an ancient pilgrimage site that they went mm. to they traveled out of the amazon higher up into the mountains of columbia to that lake to do this ritual and then they go back home and so but the civilization that is attributed to that the home of their civilization still has never been found furthermore there were other stories um i believe that where oriana was at the time when he heard the story of el dorado they were telling him to go north there were also stories telling him to go south And I don't know that, I don't know that Oriana actually did end up going south into like the coastal moche arid, uh, the deserts of, of Peru. But in that area, there are more cities that are just like El Dorado, like the Valley of Pyramids that I showed you, Mm. they were so wealthy in gold that they had gold gauntlets. Like you would slip your hand into a, into a gauntlet of gold and they found this. Now these are, now keep in mind, these artifacts are super rare. And they 're only found in tombs because the Spanish, I think under Pizarro and perhaps after Pizarro as well, ended up just going through all of this because Spain is Spain is going through a terrible time at, with their economy at this point um, there's there's a like a um, Renaissance awakening going on in Europe at this time, less and less and less people are actually attending church. So what the Spanish crown needs because they're in bed with the Vatican is uh, they need converts, right? They need people yeah. to be a part of their religion to keep paying, you know, keep paying dues to the church. This is this is millions upon millions upon millions of people that they can convert into Christianity to be a part of their church. They can also melt down all of their gold. So any gold that was just sitting around got melted down into ingots. So what's interesting, and not a lot of people know this, is every single ancient city that they came across in the Andes, this is the reason I say there's dozens and dozens of El Dorados. every single ancient city that they came across, they melted down 100% of the gold that they found into ingots and sent it back to Spain. Mm. So now all of the gold of El Dorado is probably like in our phones and stuff. Um, you know, they use a little bit of gold in, in phones. It, it's, you know, in people's rings and everything. Um, <clears throat> so, but what's interesting, and not a lot of people know this either, Is that when they captured the capital of the Inca, which is Cusco and Lima, two different capitals? um, In Cusco, they had this thing called like the Garden of the Gods, and the Inca were so were such prolific goldsmithers that they had an entire like uh, foley forest made in this little garden, one hundred percent out of gold. Life-size llamas, life-size jaguars, life-size birds, life-size trees and bushes, every single leaf and stem made out of gold. When did they do this? This is uh, this is the 1400s, 13, 1400s. This is this is the, these gardens existed when the Spanish arrived. So they walked into a city where the outside stones of the walls were plated in gold. So the sun rises and the city shines like El Dorado. You walk inside of a building with like a with a little candle lamp, and the light reflects off of the gold that's plated. So imagine having gold-plated walls on mm. inside the temple and outside the temple, and it and all, that was across all Inca sites. And the Spanish took all of it down and melted all of it. All right, wait, slow down a second with this. I, I was a little
1: confused because I'd asked like when they had this gold, and you said they had it by fourteen hundred. Does that mm. mean first of all that? You're saying it was built like right before that because it was there when the Spanish were there, but it wasn't
0: there for that long well, so we know that the ancient Indian cultures and I know this is this is like uh, the the study of of ancient Americas is is super complex um n- unlike Egypt where it's kind of a straight line easy to digest, and we're more familiar with it so um I'll try to slow down because in South America it's tough to keep up with sometimes so. We know that around Chavin de Huntar, which is um, fifteen hundred to nine hundred, and then it extends to, to three hundred BC. Uh, this is a this is like basically the mother culture of all Andean civilization. So Andean is basically the western mountainous coast of South America, just west and outside of the Amazon rainforest, and so so civilization exploded there after Amazonian religion was introduced to Shaveen de Hantar. And so right at the same time, ancient Indian culture was also smithing gold. And we know this just because it, gold is found inside tombs that date back to 1000 BC, you know, around 1000 BC in South America. So at least from all the way up until then, civilizations that were that were all around where, where uh, Oriana was looking for for el dorado and deep into the amazon we know that there were goldsmithing cultures from that time you know from a 1000 bc all the way up to spanish contact with oriana and pizarro uh conquering um, south america so for you know probably 2400 years at least they Ooh. were smithing gold
1: okay all right so this has some and,
0: dense history oh yeah yeah and i mean you're talking about you're talking about tens of millions of people living just in just in the Andes to uh, the Amazon I mean potentially 20 million people in the Amazon and several million across the Andes all the way up to um, all the way up to uh, Panama okay so you're partially
1: answering my mm-hmm. second question mm-hmm. here but maybe just for the Incas in particularly at the mm-hmm. at this time sub 1400 yep. when they have this
0: the, the Incas the Incas are like the final civilization of the Andes, they conquered the whole Andes. they're standing upon the giants of the even more ancient civilizations that came before them. They're, Do we
1: know how big they were? <clears throat> how big, the how big they got? yeah, like how like how many people? At, um, around the time, like, let's say when the Spanish came in and took the gold?
0: I, I couldn't make an estimate, but I mean, they're fully populating uh, Chile, Bolivia, all of Peru, Ecuador and a little bit into the Amazon, just a little bit, like where the Andes meets the Amazon. Um, but what's interesting is they didn't push further into the Amazon. So um, the how the Incas ruled is very well documented because there were Spanish chroniclers speaking with them, asking them all the details of, of how they ruled. And what's interesting is there were fierce people in the Amazon that were guarding the Amazon. So uh, Inca Empire was was divided. Yeah, I, I was Whoa. thinking I was thinking ten million, but I thought that that might be too much. So they yeah, had I was ten, 10,
1: 10 to twelve million. I'm just pulling this up, and yep. this is what actually why I miss having the TV behind I guess Sometimes uh-huh. I'm I'm not trying to distract you when I do no, this, okay. but you know, um, because when I had it behind him, like you guys would, I just tell you afterwards, uh-huh. and you guys just kept going. But ten to twelve million yep. Incas. In around I have it around 1520. So mm-hmm. but that's within the strike zone of what we're talking yeah. about. And how many Spanish... Like, we know the story with the Aztecs. It was like mm-hmm. 100 or something at the beginning. That was crazy because they thought... Yeah, like 150. They thought he was like a god. Yeah. But how many... Like, how big of a Spanish contingent or army or whatever you want to call it are we talking about taking I, the Incas? I think, it,
0: I think it was significantly more. Like, several thousand people. Maybe not, maybe not 10,000, but yeah.
1: Ten to twelve million Incas, and they took this whole like. The, I'm, well, I'm trying to picture I, this you, like gold forest. I'll you... tell you
0: the story of, of, of exactly it. how it happened. So, so Oriana basically, um, Oriana basically, um, you know, he leaves Pizarro to to take over the Incas, and so Pizarro wants he wants all what Pizarro wants is complete control of South America. Okay, what Spain wants, the church wants, who's in bed with the Vatican, is they want new converts to keep the church alive. They also want the gold, too. And so Pizarro really just wants the gold and the power and the property. So Pizarro basically descends down upon the Incas, and he kind of gets a feel for like, oh, okay, so the Incas, they rule this whole area. Now, there were even more ancient sites. Like when the Inca are ruling, there are completely abandoned ancient ruins that have been around for 3,000 years just laying out in the middle of the desert mm-hmm. that nobody's living at. This is, this is 4,000 years of civilization leading up to the Inca building some of the craziest stone and granite monuments that, that dwarf some of the things that we see in ancient Egypt. And so you're looking at, at an ancient civilization that is at its absolute peak, and they meet Spain. So it's it's very similar to the Aztecs, this this civilization that is just absolutely ruling with an iron fist over everybody around them, except the Aztecs were much more violent than the Inca. Um, but you have these two, you know, it's like an unstoppable force meets an immovable object, and they come to meet. So um, basically, they kind of, they have little peaceful conversations. Um, Atahualpa was the last legitimate uh, emperor or king of the Inca. We call it the Inca Empire. So, Atahualpa is in talks with Pizarro, and they're trying to, like, work out a way for this to not be a fully-fledged war, right? So, it's really not going to work out. So, um, Pizarro basically requests that... He requests from the Spanish crown, he's like, like, can I just conquer these people? Can I just completely take them over? And they go, no, that's not what you're there Mm. to do. You're there to get converts. This didn't work in Mexico because we went to war against the Aztecs and killed all of them. That was what, like 1519? That was 1519 through 15, early 1520s. And so so this is now the 1530s, I believe. And so this is uh, about fifteen to twenty years later, and so the Spanish Crown is like, no, just going in and, and invading didn't work very well. Um, we also didn't get any gold from the Aztecs, not as much as not as much as we know is in South America. So mm-hmm. we're gonna do this peacefully. So you need to at least extend an olive branch to Atahualpa, which is the Inca emperor, and see if. You know, give him the opportunity to to entertain all of the Inca converting to Christianity. Now, at this point, they had their own religion, which is the same religion that Chavín de Hontar took from deep in the Amazon to two thousand years beforehand, maybe two thousand five hundred years beforehand. It's the same religion that they've had this this whole time. So Atahualpa shows up to where pizarro's camp is where all of his you know several thousand conquistadors are and they walk in to find you know in and atahuapa is there with his bodyguards and with his his several thousand man army i think it's like several dozen thousand and uh he walks in and there's no spanish conquistadors there and they're supposed to have this they're supposed to have this big meeting but there's one priest there and he has a he has a spanish bible and he walks up to Otowapa, and he has a translator with him because they've been interacting for a few years now. So now they're able to have translators that understand each other's language. <coughs> and it's been like both of these sides know war is coming, you know, and they thought this was going to be the final meeting or maybe it was going to be the first battle. And so this priest walks up to Otowapa with the Spanish Bible and he basically tells them you're going to have this opportunity to convert to Christianity. You're going to worship our God. And I, the most powerful God, the one true God, is on our side. And if you don't join us, you're going to be slain. The whole This whole country will not exist anymore. All of your people will be slain. But if you bow to our God and worship <laughs> our God, that won't happen.
1: Because that's what their God wants them to do, yeah, to yeah. slay other people. But <laughs> At- I
0: digress. Atahualpa takes, takes the Spanish Bible, he opens <sighs> it, spits on it, rips the page out, and throws it on the ground. Honestly, good for him if that's what they were <laughs> saying to him. And so he he throws it on the ground, and the whole city has been abandoned. And what he doesn't realize is that hiding just off in the forest with telescopes are Pizarro and his men watching Altahuapa throw the Bible on the ground. So just like um, just like that, the Spanish descend down on the Inca on the this uh, on the Inca army, and Pizarro himself runs up to Altahuapa, which I mean Pizarro is kind of a badass. He runs up to Altahuapa with a knife puts a knife to his throat, and kidnaps him just like that, and all of the Inca empire is shut down in one moment because the emperor is is captured.
1: It's so fascinating mm-hmm. how the symbol at the top can cause all the music to stop. I no, mean, it's you know. It's weird, right? You even look today in, in modern history. You ever studied like, coups and how they happen? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's not that many people. Mm-hmm you know it's usually it's usually not that much and like yeah. especially if they get like the mil- the whole military on their side like it it ha- the, mm. the symbolism of putting all your faith in like oh this is the leader this is the thing we believe in oh it's not there anymore okay we got to listen to this now yeah it happens so fast yeah and I guess, like, what was the resistance, though, like, in this case? Because it can go either way. Sometimes in history you have, like, the people go, okay, all right, new leaders here, sounds good. But then other times the leader will come in and obviously, like, kill a bunch of people or force yeah. them to convert or something. So what did – after he gets captured yeah. – or did you say he got captured or slain? He, right no, there? he was captured. He was captured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after he gets captured – you know, what, what they just have like a messenger run around the whole fucking ten to twelve million people. Hey, guess what? This guy's the leader now. He's from Spain. We're gonna all be Christians, and if we're not, you're gonna die.
0: Like, how how'd it go? So yeah, they capture him. Um, they're in this. They're in their big city, and I, I want to say it may have been Lima, Peru, that they were occupying at this time, which was also one of like the main uh, citadels of the Inca Empire. But I think they'd taken over Lima, and that's where they that's that's where the Spanish had built their own headquarters. You know, and their own camp. And so they have Atahualpa captured in here, and he has like his own little house that they've given him. You know, they treat him halfway decently, and because they allow him to still rule over the Inca from their camp, but everything that he says has to be approved by the Spanish, right? Mm. So basically, they tell basically they tell him, okay, um, you know, or they they tell him, you tell the Inca people. That we will return you to power. We will return you to go live at Cusco if they turn over X amount of gold, of uh, golden idols and golden ingots. And we want it all melted down because they knew how to melt metal already. They were so wealthy, dude. They would have blocks of the Inca had blocks of granite that are half the size of this table, you know, four feet tall, three feet thick, that they were almost like fused together, but they had um. Gosh, I'm trying to think of, of how you would describe it. They had um, like wedges, not wedges, but they were able to melt down or pour in gold into these blocks that would fuse the blocks together and hold them together. Mm. So they were using, I'm trying to think of the, the exact word for that, but they were using gold, that's how wealthy they were, to to hold blocks together in their construction.
1: But that's the thing, what Mm-mm. is wealth? Oh, like, wealth yeah, yeah. involves the the value placed on your utilities or your owners or or, or what you own from other people Mm -hmm. so but the spanish look at it and they're like okay well they're wealthy as fuck they have all this gold because the spanish are trading with Mm -hmm. all these other countries around europe the middle Mm -hmm. east eastern asia the Mm -hmm. whole bit like there's a global community that at least exists over there but whereas here
0: there how much of that even is there well, it was actually exactly the same. Gold was like a flex. All of all of that was a flex. Like if you when you walked into the to the Inca capital of Cusco and you saw that garden of the gods that was made out of gold, that was a flex as to like look how wealthy we are. Gold I believe it's a flex, yeah, yeah, but yeah. they're
1: a flex to who? Because until then, who else was coming there?
0: Yeah, yeah, I know. I think I think it was just kind of like a, a a symbol. Well, no, I mean there probably were other cultures coming there. Like we don't have evidence of this, but there were definitely. Other cities that were in the Amazon that were definitely traveling through um, Inca territory. You know, you have Chile below that. You have, uh, you know, you can get down to, like the Patagonia region. There are ancient civilizations down there with traders so who were coming through. Tight. Okay. Oh yeah, and, and you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there were people coming down from North America all the way down to South America trading Teotihuacan, man. Like uh, in, in which is like the biggest ancient city in um in mexico that we still to this day don't know who built the city and it's the biggest pyramids in mexico some of the biggest notice noticeably biggest pyramids in mexico we don't know who built them but we find evidence of ancient monkeys that were brought there as pets from peru they were mm. brought all the way up through panama and so there were there were cultures traveling down into Inca territory all the time. I'm I'm 100% sure of it even though we don't have the well we do have the hard evidence, but we don't have like an extensive amount of evidence. But this is like a show of wealth. I mean, there are fountains in Inca territory that they they were showing off their understanding of hydraulics of how to mm. create flowing, rushing, fresh, clean water. Those fountains still run today that have been running for over a 1000 years in Cusco. Um but they were so heavily fortified that it wouldn't be realistic for pizarro to take his men and try to conquer everybody cuz the the inca were fierce warriors and um <clears throat> so he had he had uh, atahualpa still acting as emperor from the spanish camp and basically they had the inca go with um i think i think pizarro himself or his explorers were given express permission to wander all of the four corners of the Inca empire, melt down gold along with the Inca people and bring it back to the Spanish camp and send it back to the Spain. Well, they said that when that was done, within a couple weeks, Atahualpa would be released, but they actually kept him for eight months and then... They hadn't, I guess, made the headway in conquering the Inca territory that they thought that they would leading up to mm-hmm. about a year's time, and they just knew that if we release Atahualpa, we're going to have a whole other war on our hands. So basically, the Spanish crown says, execute him. So, oh, rather than, so for eight months, they've been exploiting all of the Inca's gold, in the Inca doing it in hopes that they get their king back so they can keep their civilization, and then Spain decides to cut his head off and then right at the very end Atahualpa, um he pleads he pleads for mercy he converts to christianity to keep his life and he wants to go back to being king and then Pizarro says, "No, but since now you're a Christian, we're going to asphyxiate you to death." So they basically—that's <laughs> nice. Yeah, they basically put like this rope over, his, uh, uh. The rope over his throat, and they tighten it down with a nail until he stops breathing.
1: Oh, that's yeah. That seems like a great way to go. <sighs> yeah,
0: yeah, and that's and that's how they killed him. And from there,
1: what was the alternative?
0: yeah i I don't know that sounds way worse than anything else yeah
1: maybe if they put him in like a box and had hornets eat him mm -hmm. to death slowly yeah that could be worse but
0: yeah so christ um so yeah they end up they end up killing him and then it's basically just like a pretty quick descent in all civilization in all indian civilization because the inca they weren't savage like the aztecs were you know, the Inca were beloved by South America. The Aztecs were absolutely hated by people in in Mexico and Central and South America. That's why the Aztecs fell. Every tribe around them hated them, but the Inca all right, we're going to get to the Aztecs Yeah yeah, yeah, the Inca were the epitome of South America. I'm not going to call it a utopia because it was certainly violent. Um, but it was a much more peaceful civilization and it fell fast.
1: What was their What was the Incan population like? like what was there? Were they all? Was the was the main
0: source of uh, occupation like farming yep. and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. farming. Um, pretty similar to what you're going to see in, in Central America. So they're they're farming um, like their local fruits and vegetables. Maize, corn is just a huge thing. Um, <clears throat> and to give you an idea of the type of, I'm not going to call it utopian, but I call it that in in comparison to the rest of the ancient world in the Americas, with just how savage some things were then. Um, and savage is a polarizing term, but I still use it, but, um... It's a polarizing term? That's new Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To call, like, to some people, to call the Aztecs savage Oh, I guess like, when you're talking about this stuff,
1: <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're yeah, right, yeah, okay. yeah.
0: So, you know, a lot of this stuff is, like, real charged. You can't say certain words, but... Okay. Um, I will explain to you in a second why everybody, including other Native tribes, hated the Aztecs and wanted to see them fall. Okay. Um, nobody wanted to see the Incas fall. Um, not Central... Not South Americans. So, to give you a good idea of how peaceful and respectful and uh morally aligned the Incas were, during their war, their very short war with Pizarro, um, this happened just after Altahuapa died. There was um there was another king who was instilled, like I think his name was like Sapa Inca. And these are kind of like these are kind of like phony emperors. They're they're kind of like stand-in emperors in a in a dying empire. And so they're leading wars against um, they're leading wars against the remaining Spanish forces. And they're not they're doing okay. They' They win a couple really big battles, but they start losing because when, like in the winter, they would be fighting and fighting and fighting and, and doing really well. But when spring and summer would come around and it was time to harvest your crops, the Inca rulers, would turn around and they'd tell their people, well, you don't have to fight. If you do need to go home and tend <laughs> to your crops, you can. So, so the men were leaving the front lines to go home and be with their family and farm and not fight during crop season. So during that time, what are the Spanish doing? Attack. Pushing further in. And how do we know how <clears throat> big their army was
1: at maximum capability?
0: Um, I, I, I couldn't tell you. I would assume... It had to be a lot. I, yeah, I would assume at least twenty five percent, twenty percent of the whole empire. So you're looking at two million whole warriors, shit. you know. But I
1: and, would guess, and you're talking about only thousands of Spaniards. So what yeah. what was the weaponry mm-hmm. like? So on uh, the Spanish side, what they have, and what did the Incans, what were the Incans working with? Yeah, yeah. So Incas,
0: Incas they had. Uh, yeah, so some people call it Incans, but it's just Incas, it's Incas really. Yeah, 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 Incas. It's the same thing with the Maya. Like it's just the Maya. It's never Mayas or Mayans. No, that one I get yeah. wrong. Yeah, it's I always right.
1: say the Mayans. Yeah,
0: Incas I, I misspoke
1: right there, but I know yeah, that's yeah, Incas. Yeah. That's interesting.
0: Language changes over time. Like it, pretty soon we're gonna be calling them Mayans, and no one's gonna have a problem with it. But really, it's just the Maya. It's just got Maya it. everything. Um, the only thing that makes it proper is like Mayan language. Just that phrasing, and like Anyways. Mayan calendar. It's really just Maya calendar. Never yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, wow. isn't it? Yeah, okay. I got I got the. I, um, so Dr. Ed Barnhart, he's like my mentor in my, uh, you know, studies, and he's like tough about that. You know, you misspeak, yeah. and he's going to be like, no, 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 you want to, you don't want to misspeak in front of somebody who knows what they're talking about. And yeah, correct it. hundred percent, man. So, <clears throat> anyways, um, so, um, I'm sorry, what did you just ask me a
1: second ago? We were talking about the capabilities <clears throat> of the, of the different armies. <clears throat> okay,
0: okay. Spain and... Yeah, America's. yeah. So, it, I mean, they were completely outnumbered. So, in Spain, um... Or I'm sorry, completely outclassed. I guess yes. as you say, um, we're outnumbered. Yeah, 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 outclassed. So, um, <clears throat> Spain they had very heavy, very durable armor, right? And the Incas they don't have swords. The only kind of swords that you see were used by the Aztecs that are like obsidian-edged swords in Central America, and these are like razor-sharp swords and axes that have like these. Um, little bits of obsidian that'll break off into your body but they're like clubs with edge right. sides well the incas i don't think that there's evidence of that i mean they had um they had um uh what is it called uh axolotls or, or Ottawattles it's it's like a um it's like a levered spear so it's this little handle that's got a spooned end on it and there's a spear that comes out the top and they'll throw it so um what's the spear made out of it's just made out of wood with like probably an obsidian tip, and so the spear is you know six, seven, eight feet long, right. and you throw it as hard as you can. But rather than just throwing it with your hand, you have a lever that adds more power to it. That's kind so of they're using ass. those. Oh yeah, yeah, man, you wouldn't want to get hit with one of those things. Yeah. Um And then they had clubs, so that's basically about it. You they're know? not
1: beating swords, armor, and shields.
0: Yeah, and and not on people on horseback right so you're on oh, horseback no horses there you know slaying people down um and i think they had crossbows too like i, I think they had i think they had a very old form of uh, of crossbows with them as well so you know the ones you pull back and launch it um, talking about the spanish did yeah yeah the yeah, spanish yeah. not not the incas yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, the Spanish had crossbows, which I don't really know exactly how effective those were. But, yeah, the Incas were definitely outclassed militarily. It's Um, so hard to picture. mm -hmm. It's it's, so
1: hard to picture what that was, because also, like, what was the fighting like? Was it like, mm -hmm. because they're from totally different cultures, they don't even know each other, how their peoples, like, exist. They're completely different. But, like, you look at the Revolutionary War, where that's not the case, you know, it's Mm -hmm. people breaking off from the people they used to be a part of, so they understand it, but, like... Revolutionary War, Civil War—these fucking people just lined up across from each other. All right, shoot! All right, shoot! And yeah, they yeah. like shoot each other. Like, what's the war fighting like between the Spanish
0: and the Incas? Is it just yeah, wild? Com- go for it! Complete chaos. I think I think that the they probably both had. Now, this isn't something that's written about in Spanish chronicles. Like, they don't write how the warfare was carried out. They just write, "This is this was the day of this battle. We lost. We lost this many men. We killed this many Incas." But yeah, most likely the Spanish certainly had military tactics. Um, that's dude. That's seen all across South Central and South America, South Central and North America as to how the Spanish attacked um, natives. They knew that they were outnumbered, so they had to be smart. Yeah, you know? So are they like surprise attacking? Uh, it's it. I wouldn't. I'm not gonna say it's all surprise attack, but yeah, it's a lot of it is surprise attack. Take the most important person that's at this camp capture him and then hold him ransom so you basically hold off the army right uh, so it's like a slow decay of South America um, De Soto did that to one of the kings in uh, Alabama I, I can't I don't know why I can't remember his name it sounds it's something like Moctezuma it's something similar to him um, but uh, De Soto was another Spanish mm-hmm. guy who went across uh, North America and he captured a north North American, Uh, mississippian king who was like the most powerful king but it was all done as a surprise attack and so that's how the spanish conquered the americas was through strategic warfare not straight up battles because they would get whenever that did happen like it happened at chichen itza there was a straight up battle between the spanish and then they got surprise attacked by the maya people this is in the northern yucatan near merida yucatan in mexico and Any time that the Spanish and the natives faced, like it was just, they were, it was just a, I guess I face you, you face me head on fight. Spanish almost always lost. It would have to be some kind of strategic ambushed attack for them to be able to win. So Mm -hmm. it was a slow withering away and manipulating of the Americas to be able to conquer everybody. So, and, and using, you know, in the case of the Aztecs, Using other cultures to figure out informations about your enemies, but that couldn't happen that didn't really happen in South America um not not completely yeah I mean because you obviously have open area camps mm-hmm. and everything but
1: I think of all these places as the Aztecs different because that was up in Central America and Mexico where there was a lot of open land but thinking about like the Incas and everything you're dealing with forests you're dealing with jungle it it's not. You know, it's not like all right. Let's all go line up over here. It's not mm-hmm. like that. And then you're talking about only having whatever it is three, four thousand soldiers yeah. in Spain, and you're trying to take down piece by piece a ten to twelve million person strong. I mean, that, it's, how's that just, even possible? Dude, it's just yeah. It's it's you know mind it's, boggling to think. You know about. what it's like, except even way more impressive. I think about like modern warfare mm-hmm. in say like Afghanistan, right? Mm. So Afghanistan was this big country, but it's got, like when we dropped in there in 01 after 9-11, like it's got rolling mountains of Mm. trees and everything. And how did we, I mean, we obviously ended up fucking that whole thing up, but people forget the first, before we took our eye off the ball with Iraq, the first year there was very effective. Mm. How did we do that? We did it using CIA paramilitary experts working with the military that we had in small teams together taking out different like mm. t- taking different strongholds just camp by camp yeah. because it's surrounded by shrubbery and trees and everything and so in a way I don't remember uh, we could look it up I don't remember or even if they even ended up saying it like how many people we dropped into Afghanistan mm. right away but it wasn't like an, an abnormally large amount yeah. and yet there's you know there's seven figure people there in that country, and, and we took it. Yeah. So this is not, and they probably, with some of the rebel forces, they had a little bit more equality with weaponry in mm-hmm. some ways. Mm-hmm. In some mm-hmm. ways, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, it does make sense once you start to put that together that they could do it. <clears throat> what doesn't make sense to me is how, even if there's not like instantaneous communication and stuff like that, mm-hmm. how there couldn't be some coordination between. Say like multiple city camps or whatever of the mm-hmm. Incas to be like, oh shit, these guys have took down have taken down like, you know, four camps in the last three weeks that mm-hmm. we've heard about from messengers. Let's surround them. I know, right? That's that's interesting to me that that never happened.
0: Yeah, well, it's it is interesting, but it it goes to show like the I'm told a lot of times when when you're studying the ancient Americas, it's it's an alien world like our our understanding of society and the way it works comes from Rome and Greece. They, yes. We, we are completely, like, we don't even realize our entire viewpoint of the entire world comes from Rome and Greece who got their uh, idea of logic from the Egyptians. Mm-hmm. So the old world, um, you know, Westerners, uh, Americans are, are fully clouded in this idea, way of thinking. There is our entire worlds in North, Central, and South America that were completely wiped away. There isn't any way that we could understand, like, like what was their logic? Why didn't they do this and that? We don't even understand their values. I mean, there's just we get little glimpses, like in the way that in the way that they would allow their soldiers to go home and work on their farms to take care of their families and children. Like, I guarantee you that the Spanish were not doing that. Obviously, they weren't doing that. So, yeah, man, trying to study. Um, Trying to study ancient American religions, it's, it's almost like if we found out a human civilization was living on Mars, but they weren't there anymore, and we were trying to study it and, and fully make sense of everything mm. we that we could, we wouldn't be able to, yeah. you know?
1: Yeah, because we are, as you said, <clears throat> we're completely derived off of that ancient European... Ideology, regardless of how many culture, we have every culture in the world here mm-hmm. from some point or another living in America, but yeah. like the the way of America is, is built on that. And it, it also, you know, all the things you learn in the first 10 years of your life, mm-hmm. starting with learning who your parents are when you first open your eyes, you can see them all the way through learning language to learning, you know, your daily routine and whatever it is you do in your life. It's very different across all different people in society, but, like, within a country, even where there's significant differences from, you know, data point person A and data point person B, some of the ideas of how humanity is supposed to work and, like, oh, this is just how it is, this is just how it is, is the same, Mm-hmm. You know, even with people that you could you have trouble having a conversation with because they're they're from some way different background. Yeah, yeah. But whatever that is, like that programming that's built in, we then have this cognitive bias where we assume that that same programming is built in everywhere to mm-hmm. everyone, which is like the farthest thing from the truth. But it's yeah. very hard to stick that at the door, Mm -hmm. and then learn about how somewhere else thinks of the most basic Mm -hmm. things. Yeah, The most basic things about what it means to even be a human or what you do or what the value of life is. Yeah. Stuff like that. Like, try explaining that to, you know, one of the uncontacted tribes. Oh, I know it. Right? Like, Mm -hmm. first of all, you couldn't even explain it because no one even understands each other's languages. But if you could, Mm -hmm. people are going to be like, what? Yeah. You know, all these places, all these things, Mm -hmm. they're just i've had multiple people on the podcast say this and i've heard a lot of people saying this like when i watch content and stuff recently it's just popping up more and more everything is just a story Mm -hmm. it's just it's how a story is sold and passed down over time that then creates all the ideals that come from it Mm -hmm. and so even trying to concept how places in south america that had been completely separated from the eastern world in that case Mm -hmm. east of them that came to rule most of the world after that, you know, what is even their process in mm-hmm. in considering what this is yeah. coming in front of them? The, the Aztec one's interesting because it's like they thought it was a god. Yeah. That didn't turn out well. But, yeah. you know, how do, how do, like, the Incas look at these strange men in armored suits with their shields and speaking with their funny accents, you know, who are also much whiter mm-hmm. than they are they look different like they almost look like it
0: they must think of it like oh my god is this a different species yeah yeah for sure for sure well one thing i think is a great example of that is um had you know in the movie wonder woman how they call the women the amazons have you ever heard i don't you, think i saw that have movie. you ever heard a correlation between like sometimes like uh sometimes very eccentric or or um I don't even know like unique women are sometimes referred to as amazons. Have you ever heard have you ever heard a connection between these? I don't think so. <clears throat> well, this comes from something that uh Pizarro and Oriana and some other Spanish expeditions came across when they were in the Amazon and they came across uncontacted tribes. So, it was the women in these tribes that were commanding a lot of uh, that were commanding the the armed forces a lot of the times and so in the way that the inca would allow their men who were on the front line to go back to their you know allow them to not participate in the war it was totally voluntary they didn't they didn't like commission you or demand that you serve in their military in the amazon it was different these people were fierce that's why that's why the inca didn't go into the amazon they they ruled a little bit east of the Andes. Mm-hmm. I mean, barely east. As soon as the Andes meet the Amazon, their rain stopped. Right, right. Because the people in the Amazon were too fierce for the Inca to fight. And in some ways, too fierce for the Spanish to fight as well because it was so dense and they knew their way around the jungle and they were so yes, quick. you can't move anywhere. <clears throat> yeah. but there were times when Amazon or Amazonian forces were overwhelmed in the jungle by Oriana's men. And so the the Amazonian men that were on the front line would try to retreat. And where the term Amazons comes from is that's what they used to, that's what they called the women who commanded the forces. And if any man on the front line of the Amazonian, I guess, tribal warriors was, was a coward and he turned back to run, they would immediately get killed by the women. The, yeah, the women would stab them to death, kill them with spears, kill them with clubs, cl- like bash their skull in. Yeah, right, right, wait. So
1: biologically, though, are the women stronger mm-hmm. than the
0: men in this they, case? Well, what's interesting is that the, the, the Spanish chroniclers wrote down that the women were— strangely strong. They were powerful women. So that's where the term Amazons comes from. Like when you, when you you know anybody who's seen Wonder Woman, they're constantly referred to as the Amazons. This is where that this is where that correlation between Amazons and like strong powerful women comes oh
1: from. Oh my god, Charles Darwin would have had a fucking field day with that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it's interesting. Um I don't know if there's any remnants of that still around today that that's can what be i'm saying
1: like that's not a human this is the first i'm ever
0: really yeah. hearing of that i mm-hmm. mean
1: you look at other species like you'll see like with bees and stuff the queen bee is the mm-hmm. largest and mm-hmm. most powerful or whatever mm-hmm. so there are some where like the men are smaller um, and not as biologically dominant anacondas yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. anacondas yeah there, there's there's examples of that but with humans I've never heard that.
0: Yeah, with humans, it's not usually like that. But, yeah, the, the Amazons, the women, would be sitting at the back of the warriors, and if any warriors tried to retreat, they'd get their head bashed in with a club, and uh, and they'd, they'd be killed right there on the spot. So that's where that comes from. So try, you know, how do we even understand that? Where does that even come from, that the women are the ones holding the male warriors accountable and commanding the warriors? You know, they came, they came up with, presumably, all the strategies of attack, like when they're trying to attack Uh, Oriana's men. The women are the ones that the Spanish saw as being the leaders. Now, there wasn't actually anybody who got in on the inside to be able to, you know, verify this or speak to any of these people, but they said that's what it looked like, was that the women were leading the men. And if any men retreated, they got their heads bashed in. So yeah, that's where the term Amazons comes from. So we try to understand these ancient cultures. There's just, there's no way that we could fully understand their value system, you know?
1: Yeah, can, can can we go back to El Dorado? Yeah. Because you're, you're reminding me, talking about the Amazon yeah, yeah. right there. Like, we've touched on it a bunch today, mm-hmm. like, in and out. And you, I think we first started talking about it with Percy Fawcett and how you said he thought he was looking for El Dorado, but it was actually, like, another potential city mm-hmm. that was similar. And you mentioned something about all these different lost cities that had very similar ideas. Mm-hmm. So when, when did the term El Dorado, mm-hmm. when was that... Was that born through the Oriana expi- expedition?
0: Yeah, okay. yeah, I, I, yeah, I believe. I mean, I believe so. That's 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 what the story alludes to. Is that he is the first? He, his expedition is where the term El Dorado comes from. Now, what's interesting is there's some kind of uh, anthropological, linguistic evidence that shows that that wasn't actually the name. Like the gilded one. That's just the name of El Dorado. Means the gilded one or the golden one. Um, but when you study the Moishka tribes, people end up finding out later on that there's a city that what the city was actually called was, uh, uh according to like the local indigenous language was the city was actually called the strength, but hmm. somewhere in there that got misconstrued into being, into being El Dorado, but El Dorado might just be talking about the king of the city, which was called the strength. And uh, I wish I knew how to pronounce that in its actual language. I'd say it that way. But in the Muishka language, it was called the Strength. And then that gets twisted into being Dorado, which means the golden or gilded one. So that's where that story comes from. And I think I think that we have found where... So who the gilded one was, was like I was talking earlier. It was a king who would... He was basically uh, glittered in gold. And he had all these gold artifacts that he would bring with him from their... Home city, right? And he would go out into the. He would go out to this lake up in the up in the high mountains of Colombia, and he would go down into the Lake and submerge himself and drop all this gold into the water, presumably for their god, who is this fanged deity. Mm. Uh, that this it, there's this one god. So people think that monotheism emerged in Egypt with the rule of Akhenaten, but it didn't. It started in South America, like the the worship of one single god. When. One uh, it probably started, well, the earliest evidence that we have for it is what well, used to be about 1300 BC in Chavín de Hontar because we didn't know where it came from before in the Amazon. And then we find pottery evidence. So Chavín de Hontar is on the west side of the Amazon. Then we find the exact same pottery from and that was one thousand BC, Chavin de Hontar. We find the exact same pottery on the eastern side of the Amazon from six thousand BC. So that just pushes the same religion back four thousand years. But that that outskirts of where that pottery was found on the eastern side of the Amazon in these Brazilian caves is definitely not the origin of that civilization because we haven't really found the cities that are there. These are just like satellite places that people are living, making the same kind of pottery that's influenced from somewhere in the Amazon that hasn't been found. So what I really think is that El Dorado in people in my circle has kind of of grown into this... It's like a phrase that's used to... Uh, basically identify an entire culture or civilization of goldsmithing cultures that were filthy rich in South America that live somewhere in the Amazon that haven't been identified. But there's not just one. I, I mean, I'm telling you, there's probably there's probably dozens of El Dorados. And El Dorado is symbolic of an entire civilization of people that we know nothing about. All right.
1: We know mm-hmm. nothing about them, but we know the myth, the legend says. Yeah, yeah, yeah that they were these cities plated of gold that had you know it, it was actually when you were talking about the incan mm-hmm. the the it, the it, incas forest yes. with all it sounds similar
0: yeah it, it it is similar and that's what i was saying that like they were finding el dorado after el dorado after el dorado but right. none of it lived up to the story that oriana had had heard and Correct. even pizarro never thought that he actually found el dorado so what I think is that very likely, somewhere deeper into the Amazon, there may be even bigger, more impressive sites with more gold that 100% was never looted by the Spanish. It's still sitting out there. And the great thing about gold and granite and everything uh, that a lot of their cities are built out of is it's perfectly preserved. And uh, if they could still – if if and when they're found, if in our lifetime, I think that they're – whenever one, they're 100% going to be found – But it's going to completely blow the lid off of our preconceived ideas of El Dorado being a myth because it's just not. I mean, you you look into the stories. There's more. There's dozens of El Dorados that existed in the Andean world, but all of the origins of that civilization and their ability. And I should mention a lot of their gold artifacts show this fanged deity god that we know Mm -hmm. comes from the Amazon. So everything is pointing to along the entire coast. Of the Eastern Amazon to the Western Amazon and the Andean civilization, all of it points inwards into the Amazon. The origins of all of these great civilizations, these great goldsmithing civilizations that sound similar to El Dorado, it's all pointing towards the Amazon.
1: Yeah, the the guy, <clears throat> the
0: guy who wrote this, I think, was this dude,
1: Gaspar de Caraval. Mm-hmm. That that was the dude who was capturing it during. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. With, yeah, yeah, with yeah. Oriana mm-hmm. that I was referring to earlier. So. I'm trying to remember—it's tough, like, when I'm listening to you and also yeah, trying yeah. to look on the screen here to see if I can find the spots. I may not on air, and people will just have to look it up for themselves, but I'm trying to remember, like— Being, in, being on
0: air can give you, like, dementia,
1: <laughs> oh, for trying to sure. remember things. For sure, but also, like, multitasking and mm-hmm, things like mm-hmm. that. But I'm trying to remember if it was in The Lost City Z by David Grand or where it was— that I read about exactly what this guy reported when they saw the embankment, like from mm-hmm. the the Amazon River, mm-hmm. that they claim was El Dorado, which what's his name? Percy Fawcett, until mm-hmm. he went off and was looking mm-hmm. at other places. I think the thought during his era and even the thought now is that that was it was somewhere Like, literally, like, dead in the middle of where the Amazon runs from west to east. Mm. So, anyway, when they had Mm -hmm. looked at this, I'm trying to remember if they – if he also – Gaspar de Caraval also mentioned witnessing advanced-looking other things besides, like, Mm. the fact that it was gold and there were these alleged pyramids and stuff like Mm. that that could point to – the civilization as the legend has now taken it being highly, highly advanced, mm-hmm. right? So the idea that you could have people living quite literally in the middle of nowhere in the Amazon, and maybe, as you said, there were multiple different offshoots of this, and perhaps and perhaps those cities all were tied together. Perhaps it was a part of a greater empire, which yeah. you not oh, thinking yeah. of it that way. Yeah. You could speak a lot more on that than I could, but when you put all this together— it doesn't, it allegedly obviously doesn't exist now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How far did they get though? What made them cease to exist? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like this is like Atlantis and it was lost to the ocean or something like that. Like this is in the middle of the Amazon. So why, why did it stop? Or, oh, okay. or have we not yeah, yeah. gone, have we not even gone to the places where it could be, which is also a strong possibility. That's mm-hmm. what Paul talks about.
0: Yeah, um, I think, number one, it's easily people just haven't walked across the ruins of what these cities that could have been El Dorado are like. Also, right there in the middle of the Amazon, so on the southeast side of the Amazon, you have Zitput, which is a a, a fabled El Dorado-esque city that very likely is what Percy Fawcett went missing looking for. In the center of the Amazon, where the Amazon River is running... uh, East to west and uh, or west to east, and right there in the center would have been more likely the city of Manoa, which is very similar. People get it confused with El Dorado all the time because it's it's right. It's the yeah. same sort of legend, but but Oriana was hearing and uh, is is his name a Carvajal I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> they were hearing the this these legends of you know whenever they would talk to these indigenous people, they would say, oh yeah, just in this area. Uh, deeper, further down the river, you have to go further and further and further down the river to find this lost city. Well, he was hearing the what I think is he was hearing number one the legend of El Dorado, which would have been more in the more in the northwest area of the Amazon, and then they were hearing the legend of Manoa, which is a different city similar to it. So he was, from my opinion, when I read the story. Um, and then, mostly though, when I study like the archaeological evidence and how things point to each other, and then I and then I read a little bit about Oriana, I think okay, he's hearing a story about about from the Muishka tribe, which is in Colombia. Then he's hearing a story deeper into the Amazon. So here is El Dorado. This is Manoa. Percy Fawcett was over here studying Z, mm. which which might be Jitput, which is like starts with an X, but there's a similarity there in spelling. He thought it was El Dorado. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. There's also rumors in Guyana, which is in the northeast side. So when you study it from a bird's eye view and you're looking down in South America, you get a better understanding of, oh, El Dorado isn't one city. It's a whole continent mm. that ha- of, of cities that haven't been found. Now, what made them go missing? <clears throat> two things, possibly. One... There could have been some kind of natural disaster that affected them in the same way that the Maya did, because the Maya collapsed on their own in similar, um, in a similar ecological area to you know if you were in the middle of the Amazon rainforest. They're in the middle of their own rainforest, which is like the Paten rainforest um, in the in the highlands. Something happened to the Maya, and we don't know exactly what that was. This is around seven fifty to. 850 AD, so pretty, you know, pretty recent. About 13 to 1200 years ago, something happened to their climate. We don't know exactly what happened, but we know that it was widespread. It wasn't caused by war. It was something that happened to the entire climate that caused their civilization to fall. It's possible that a very similar thing happened to these civilizations that are in the Amazon that caused them to move out because we see civilization hmm. on the east side of South America move in from the coast, like when you look at archaeological evidence, it looks like they moved in, or... Yeah, I mean, it looks like they moved in, but then later on, at about 1000 BC, we see civilization and religion move out of the west side of the Amazon into the High 1000 Andes. BC, though. That's yeah, yeah, what... We're yeah. going
1: way back now.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're going way back. Whereas, like, some of the purported sighting with, like, mm-hmm. Oriana
1: was, like, 1520.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to, like... I'm trying to, yeah, like, yeah. make sense of it all, because there's so much going on. This is why I love the, the ancient Americas, because... Dude, it's so much more complicated dense, than, I, than I ever thought when I first got into it. So, <clears throat> so, again, we have a collapse of the Maya, which is in Central America, for natural reasons. There isn't, like, a disease being introduced that wipes out the whole civilization yet. So, something happened to the Maya, we still don't know, but they collapse, and the it's the end of the classic Maya era into the post-classic, where they move north into the Yucatan, and the civilization's kind of fledgling and falling apart for a while. Well... Either something like that happened to the civilizations in the Amazon. They're living deep in the jungle, and some kind of climate crisis happens. There's there's no explanation. You know, there hasn't been an adequate explanation for what happened to these tribes that are in the middle of the Amazon. But we know for certain. Even archaeologists don't dispute the fact that there were upwards of 20 million people living in the Amazon that vanished from the from that were. It was reported, you know, during a time of contact, there are all these people living there. And then by the time Percy Fawcett and other explorers show up, none of these people are there anymore. And the villages and towns that we did know of aren't populated anymore. What could have explained that? <clears throat> well, definitely, definitely the destruction, like the decimation of civilization, uh, and the and the disparity between like the reports of Oriana and the guys later who came who came later, like Fawcett and some of the guys before Fawcett definitely the result of that is just disease. Like we had all these diseases in Spain and in the old world that we brought over into the new Mm -hmm. world and people in the new world, um, in a way they were very hygienic. Like they didn't have the diseases that we have, right? And they were very well suited to the environment that they lived in, not these, they weren't suited to the diseases that spread from living amongst rats and poop and mud, you Mm -hmm. know? So we bring these diseases and it's not just one disease, it's like 12 plagues that we sent all across the, I say we, but Westerners sent all across the, you know, from from Mexico and Central America to South America. And it spread all the way up to North America. We killed, the Westerners killed upwards of about 95 million people just th- just through disease. So crazy. <clears throat> we know at the very least there was probably about 20 million people living in the Amazon. So... That disease spreading from the people that the Spanish had contact with spreading deep into the Amazon could have easily put out, easily put out even the biggest civilizations that are living deep in the Amazon. Either that's what happened or there was some kind of environmental um, thing that destroyed Amazonian civilization inside the jungle, and that's why they spread out to the Andes. Because, I mean, we know civilization emerged from the Amazon and religion emerged from the Amazon into the Andes and inseminated the Andes and created, like, the greatest empire of, of all of the Americas that we're aware of. So there's two different explanations, either environmental or it was Spanish contact and disease that destroyed what the civilizations and cities of El Dorado would have been.
1: The, the civilizations you were talking about, though, where there was evidence that they were moving far to the east mm-hmm. and out of there. You, mm-hmm. Was that what you were mentioning was like yeah. 1,000 BC
0: or something? <clears throat> um, well, no, okay. So so Chavín de Hantar, which is right west of the Amazon, that's uh-huh. 1,000 BC. Now, I, I just briefly mentioned that they were moving east as well. So we find these caves that are in the um, – that are in like the Brazilian highlands that are near the the eastern coast on the opposite side of the Amazon from Peru right and and in these caves you can find these campsites that have been used at different periods for several thousand years so even around 1000 AD we see that these caves are being used but you dig deeper into like the you dig deeper into the soil and then that's where they find oh this was used 6,000 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, by studying the soil and the layers and, and um, like soil disposition and how things get buried inside these caves over time that you find these ancient campsites with pottery that goes back to 6,000 BC. But on a higher layer, you find another civilization that emerged from the Amazon later with different pottery that we find a little bit deeper into the Amazon. Mm-hmm. So it's like relative data, you know I mean? You're putting patterns together. So we we find that people went from outside the Amazon in 6000 BC into the Amazon and then they come out around the same time that people popped out of the West End as well. So it looks like people moved into the Amazon, something happened and then people left. But the so these wouldn't <clears throat> be these
1: wouldn't be civilizations that had insane advanced technology or something like that because <clears throat> they ended up like they survived for years outside of those zones and we don't have evidence that they had anything like that
0: um yeah i mean if we're talking about ancient like advanced technology this is this is where it can get a little bit tricky because man you look at you look at the civilizations like man you look at okay so uh, the the three main civilizations that appear after you know you have this thirty uh, three hundred BC civilization that that exists on the eastern coast of Peru and then they and then they collapse because of these torrential floodings. they move a little bit closer to the Amazon and the highlands of the Andes, but then all of a sudden they take on Amazonian religion and they just their civilization explodes again and it's extremely successful up until Spanish contact. That's chavin de Hontar mm. right at that point uh, all before that they had been using. Uh, these little, they've been using little bricks that are like, you know, the size of a cinder block. But at the time of Chavin, they still use blocks like that. But also at the same time, they're using blocks that are as big as this table. They're building cylindrical columns. Mm. And all of this is introduced as soon as ancient Peruvian people take on the religion of the Amazon. So people were coming out from the Amazon teaching these people about architecture um, more agriculture that they hadn't known before, before being introduced to Amazonian people um, and and religion. So so uh, agriculture, architecture, and religion all came from the Amazon. So Chavin explodes, and we see megalithic architecture. Then later on, probably within the next 1,000 years, civilization kind of moves from Chavin to a place called Tiwanaku. Have you ever heard of this? You were telling <clears throat> me about this. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so Tiwanaku is a place that's, uh, it's it's almost inexplicable. The, the geometrical patterns that are shown in the blocks there and how precision cut they are and unnecessarily cut as well. We have no explanation. They're like square blocks that are three or four feet high um, and three or four feet wide that have these geometric prism shaped patterns cut in layers inside of them. And some of them are cut into H blocks. And these weren't, necessarily used as foundational stones they weren't used as walls we have no idea what what the architecture at Tiwanaku looks like it looks like some kind of strange alien site we also don't even know how they cut the blocks the way they did and we have evidence that the plating that there was plating on the outside of the walls at Tiwanaku we know that there were walls but these strange blocks weren't walls
1: how do you spell Tiwanaku uh
0: so the easy way of spelling it is uh T-I-W- a n k u t i w a n k u, okay. or a n a n a k u. Yeah, continue. Like I think
1: I got
0: it. Tiwanaku. So that's the that's the gate of the sun at the top of that All right, gate. I'll
1: put I'll put this <clears throat> image in the corner of the screen.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you could look up uh, the gate of the sun at Tiwanaku at the top central part of that gate at, at the gate that little uh effigy god looking thing. That's the same fanged god. That we see at Chavín de Hontar a thousand years before that didn't exist in Peruvian civilization before Peruvian civilization took on the religion of the Amazon. So that God comes from the Amazon. So as soon as this God from the Amazon is introduced, Peruvian civilization starts using megalithic architecture. Now those that gate are ma- is made out of three solid blocks that weigh you know multi-ton blocks. Oh, yeah, and there's a foundational stone at Tiwanaku that weighs upwards of like 160 tons. Now, keep in mind, the biggest beast of burden that ancient Peruvian people would have had to be able to to move their monuments is a llama. So, how do they move these blocks that don't come from here? Nobody knows, but the source of all of this knowledge and the source of this culture that did all of this comes from the Amazon. Then, after Tiwanaku, so Tiwanaku lives from... 200 A.D. So it's like a thousand years after Chavin. They live from 200 A.D. to a thousand A.D. ish. They build a bunch of monuments that are similar to this. Like you could look at the H blocks and everything. Um, and I encourage people to look it all up. Then about a thousand years after that, you have the Inca who come in and then the Inca take things up a whole other step, which is almost inexplicable. And people have a really hard time effectively explaining how the Inca did this because it's a it's a step above anything that's like this. Their building architecture, like I was talking about earlier, that's... Uh, the blocks, <laughs> their buildings and their temples are so perfectly built that the Spanish came in and they look at these giant temples that are more magnificent than anything they've ever seen in Spain. Anything that was ever built in Greece or in Egypt. There's nothing like Ancient Peruvian granite architecture, and they look at all of this, and they're like, "We have to take all this down," but they can't take they can't take the walls down. So they build New Spain on top of the two Inca capitals, Cusco and Lima. They build New Spain on top of these Inca. Um, Cities to cover up the architecture, and what they wanted to do was extinguish all the culture, extinguish any of the pride that these people would have had, because they wanted to completely convert them. Yeah, you know, and but they really wanted like a submissive population, and so <clears throat> sick. So they built New Spain, quote unquote, on top of all these different um, Inca sites, and then right at 1650, shortly after the conquering of Peru, a massive like magnitude nine earthquake hits South America. And it destroys and topples all these Spanish buildings. And the Peruvian, the Peruvian city is still sitting underneath the Spanish cities, completely uh, unaffected. And so they build up New Spain on top of it again. And then in 1950, there's another like magnitude 8 earthquake that hits South America, topples all the cities there. The Inca city is still sitting there. And all that architectural knowledge of how they built these sites goes all the way back to the civilization Chavin that was influenced by the amazon and what's interesting about if you're talking about like advanced technology (sighs) what's really interesting is if you look at like have you heard of bailback before Uh, it's you know where i heard a bailback where
1: where is that when you first contacted me what was that like a month ago
0: Mm -hmm. maybe maybe so i saw a video where you talked about that Mm. Yeah. Okay. Did I make
1: that up? Was that you? No. Yeah. 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 I have a a video on bailback, but there are other
0: people that talk about bailback too. But anyways, I just i i bring up bailback to say like in a lot of these ancient megalithic sites, that's kind of what they're termed as, and it's just sites that use giant megalithic blocks and boulders to build their monuments that had to be moved from far away. You know, largely inexplicable things that that we don't have any kind of explanation for today. Well. At Baalbek, this is in ancient Lebanon, the bottom layers of Baalbek are the biggest stones. They're like 1,400, uh, is it 1,400 ton stones or 1,400 pound stones? Yeah, it's it, it's it's an insanely large sites. But they use their biggest stones at the bottom of these temples. In the Inca temples, they had something called a soft foundation. And it was like this, uh, it was almost like a, like these soft pebbled rocks that allowed these giant boulders that are fitted perfectly next to each other, when an earthquake would hit, the whole temple, the entire fortress, this Inca temple would move on this soft foundation back and forth and then settle back into place. But how they ever learned how to be able to do this, we haven't, we have, I mean, we have no idea.
1: That's what you're talking about right <clears throat> there?
0: Yeah, it's, it's similar to that. Um, you'd have to look at the Trilithon stones um like that with the base yeah that that might be one that i haven't seen before but that's what it looks like um all over put that image in the corner yeah yeah all over the temple of jupiter in uh ancient lebanon you see these giant stones and they're all used as the base but what happens is uh, earthquakes aren't as common there as there are in in south america but when earthquake hits that giant stone that is the foundation of the whole building cracks in half and then you know the the temple can fall in but in the inca world it wasn't like that because all of these giant stones some of them the size of this whole room standing straight up they were all fitted perfectly together more perfect than have you ever heard about how people talk about the blocks on the pyramids are so perfect together you can't put like a credit card between them
1: we're gonna get to that
0: okay yeah yeah so this is more perfect than that Way more. I mean, you can't fit... You can't pluck a hair off your head and put it between these giant granite stones. And this is granite, not limestone, like is mostly used in Egypt. They most... The Incas mostly used granite. And the blocks are way bigger than the limestone blocks that are used in Egypt. Yeah, but they're built on a soft foundation. So when an earthquake hits, the whole temple moves and rocks back and forth and then sets back into place so it doesn't that collapse and fall apart. That is fucking wild. Yeah, and... um I
1: wonder, you ever think about like the, the way they did, like how they actually did their physics, man, you know, because man. we have all these equations and stuff mm-hmm. and we've had them for years and years now where guys are like, okay, if it doesn't equal that, then it's going to fall. Mm-hmm. But like back then, you know, maybe they had some of that too, but they were so intelligent. They obviously, mm-hmm. the means are probably different, but the ends get to the same thing or they get to... Yeah. Even shit that like maybe we don't mm-hmm. consider like that
0: yeah, well, one thing I always think of, and I was having a conversation uh, I was standing at the base of the temple of inscriptions at Palenque in Chiapas, which is just an ancient Maya city in Chiapas, Mexico in the middle of the jungle and I was talking to Dr. Ed Barnhardt about this and I was like uh I was like, you know, one thing I, I think about sometimes is you know our civilization, our society is so influenced by people like Marcus Aurelius. Plato, Herodotus, Um, and this this goes all the way back to uh, Imhotep, which is, he's like the first physician, the first scientist, the first architect. He's the guy that created the first pyramid in Egypt. He designed it for the pharaoh.
1: That's probably why they, maybe I'm pulling this out of my ass, but that's probably why they named the mummy in the movie The Mummy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: I didn't make that up, right? That's what no, they thinking. do. They do. Yeah, yeah. Okay. A- everything in The Mummy is wrong, but it's a great movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't saying it was right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But at least um, they had a little nod to history in there. Yeah, yeah. Every single thing in that movie is wrong, but it's an awesome movie. Um, but you got to think, man, the, the Americas had all of that. They had their own Herodotus, Marcus Aurelius, you know, these these great minds of their civilizations to be able to build what they did. I mean, it's it's weird when I think about like – um. You know, I I think like sometimes like I probably have like a maybe a slightly above average IQ, but dude, there were Albert Einsteins in the Inca Empire. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there were people who were more intelligent than all of us. And again, who are the people mm-hmm. we think about
1: who yeah. were intelligent? You know, long before? Yeah. It's like Plato. Mm-hmm. Fast forward, Leonardo da Vinci. Mm-hmm. Right? Like the, these are people where the places you
0: talked about, Greece and Rome. Yeah. You know. It's that is and they all had the, they all had their own <sighs> wow people that were either you know burned at the stake or they were killed by disease. And this whole world is just gone. And really the only thing that's left is pottery, bones and ancient buildings. And so you're piecing together this giant puzzle of South America. And so in just the last year or so that I've really gotten to understand, ancient South America and ancient Central America, I'm starting to realize, because I had always thought, like, El Dorado, oh, yeah, that's cool, a city of gold, yeah, that's cool, and you start studying it more, and you realize, whoa, wait, wait, no, 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 Percy Fawcett wasn't looking for El Dorado, maybe he thought he was, but he wasn't, because now we have archaeological evidence later that there's another city, oh, dude, there's a LIDAR scan that came out the month that Percy Fawcett went missing 97 years later last year, in the Mato Grosso region of Brazil, but it's actually just across the border in Bolivia. Wait, a LIDAR scan came out the same month? The same month, but 97 years oh, later. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, 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 I was yeah. like,
1: wait a minute, hold on a second. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. The, the same <laughs> month
0: but 97 years later. The reason I know is because I made a video that day that it came out. It was the same month, like almost <laughs> almost to the day that he that he wrote you. his letter. Yeah. And um and a lidar scan came out that found a Whole city with a giant step pyramid, with with raised r- roads, highway systems running deeper off into the jungle. Because you gotta realize the Mono Grosso region of Bolivia, Brazil, is like um, where Dead Horse Camp may have been was was um, a little bit northern into I guess central the Amazon. I, I, I may have been wrong about that earlier, but where he was headed was southwest towards Bolivia. He yes. was headed towards Bolivia. And where the LIDAR scan went, because he said that was the most likely place. He took he was going to take his son to the most likely place that he thought this lost city would be.
1: Well, we know the... And that's why we know <clears> the <throat> direction, but not the place, because he never revealed the place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right.
0: And so, And so they ran LIDAR scans over the Amazonian jungle that's just inside Bolivia three years ago. And they found a giant city... Right, sort of in the direction that he was headed before he went missing, and so it was complete with two-step pyramids. Uh, what they think is like a palace or a plaza. We call it a plaza because it's like a giant raised, terraced area that people would have likely been doing commerce, and th- they might likely had a market. You know, so we just call that a plaza. And then it had highways going into the city. So all through the Amazon. Ah, oh man, there's so many. Rab- there's so many things I could, I could mention. Um I so, so Go down them. yeah, yeah, You're good. yeah. So in the Amazon, they had raised highway systems because it rains so much. So people eventually learned like, damn, I got to get my house off of the ground. So they build a mound, like, you know, maybe as high as the ceiling to keep the rain out of their home, right? So it would run off the mound. But then they realize we can't walk anywhere when it's mud all the time. So they build ten meter tall highways that people walk across. And then How they How long are these highways? <clears throat> tens of miles, like tens of miles in one straight direction. But they it's like a web of civilization. So But
1: what what did they build it with?
0: <clears throat> um they probably had their own form of, of like shovels and, and buckets to be able to move. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just
1: oh my god yeah yeah
0: so so they're building these raised highways dude people are finding these all the time now like this is starting to really catch on that people are um, going into like the Amazon and finding well archaeologists are going to the Amazon and finding these raised highways because now we're, we're getting to a point where you where you can identify them used to it just looked like a weird like you know, uh, like raised little mound that comes down on the other side. But people are starting to starting to catch on to, archaeologists are starting to catch on to, okay, this is artificial. This was created by a, human, by a human being. So two things happen. They would build these raised highways to be able to walk on ground that wasn't so like, you know, because sometimes you're going knee deep in mud in the yeah. Amazon when it's raining. But now they've got these highways that are 10 meters tall. Then they got even smarter. And so at the bottom of this raised highway, they would, where where it met the ground, they'd build a little canal that would fill up with water that kept, it would like drain out. So you have the raised highway here and you have this little canal. And then there's like a little bit of a decline so that the the flat plains of the Amazon would like drain into these canals and these canals are filled with water. And they had canal boats and they would sail on the boats through the amazon yeah so they were creating artificial canals and rivers through the amazon to go from one place to the other so you could walk or you could or you could sail in this little i don't know six foot wide uh canal on these little river boats and then they would go down the amazon so but lidar scans are super expensive right so it's so expensive that for some reason the same team They haven't even walked out to the site that they found on foot that was in the Amazon. Nobody's walked out there. They just have a LIDAR scan of it. Um, And then two, they haven't done a LIDAR scan to see where these roads go off because on the outside of the LIDAR scan, it gets kind of faded, you know, because Mm they focus on the central area. They take a picture of that. It's actually like a multitude of pictures that you have to kind of digest the information to create a, a... comprehensive photo to be able to know what you're looking at it's not just like you take a picture and it's there sure. it, it takes a whole profession to be able to yeah i don't know whatever work the photo together but they see all these highways going for miles straight off into the jungle and they haven't sent another lidar scan out there to see where that to see where that road goes you could just take lidar scans in a straight line and find another city they haven't done it because it's so expensive i think it's like in some cases and maybe it's less expensive now, but in some cases it's been like fifty grand just for one photo. Like to send the plane out there with the lidar camera and all that equipment, it's like fifty thousand dollars. So, and who's
1: is it usually? I, I assume like private organizations funding this. It's not like you're
0: no, no. It's it's like the Bolivian government, Brazilian oh, the government's government, doing all that. Yeah. Shit. So No, and dude, they don't they do not want like some if some guy like Elon Musk was like, you know what, I'm gonna put. I want to put fifty million dollars towards lidar scans of the Amazon to try to find these lost cities because I'm interested in it. They, the people in Brazil or Bolivia or Peru, go, yeah, well, fuck you, gringo. We don't want your money. You know, it, mm. they they want to do it all themselves. They're
1: tired of having. What about what about wealthy <clears throat> South American based people though? Are they against? Like- yeah,
0: maybe. Well, I mean, they might. There might be people there who are for that. Um, And I'm sure that 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 does go on. But I know like for sure in Mexico, um, like me going into Mexico, Guatemala, you know, you're walking in as a gringo looking into ancient civilizations in their territory. They don't really care to have you there. And they definitely don't want you investing millions and millions of dollars to have like power and leverage over the area. They're tired of like their patrimony being ruled over by Westerners, you know. Yeah, no, I
1: I fully... I get that.
0: Yeah, but because of that, archaeological discoveries happen at a snail's pace because they just don't have, you know, the United States can shell out money for archaeology, but, uh, you know, Bolivia and Brazil have a lot more going on than that they have to focus on oh, yeah. than shelling money towards archaeology. So that photo of that city with mile-long, multi-mile-long highways... Two giant step pyramids, a giant plaza has that one photo. Maybe it was two photos at one time, and no one's ever walked out there on foot because it's so dangerous, and the Bolivian government's not going to pay a team to go out there. To do what? They're not going to turn it into an a archaeological site that visitors can come in. So like, it all has to be profitable for these people. So that's why the Amazon, that's why it's going to be really tough for people to go in and make discoveries because what do you do? Oh, man. We even talked about this. So what happens if if Manoa, which is in the middle of the Amazon uh, River, or it was said to be in the middle of the Amazon River, um, that's likely what Oriana was hearing about when he was in the middle of the Amazon River. He wasn't hearing about El Dorado, right, right, which was right, right. a Mushika yep. city. He was hearing about something different that he thought was the same thing, um, which is fine. It's, simil- it's basically the same thing, but it's just another one in a different area. Um, Brazil is not going to go in and start excavating that and showing these discoveries to the public because they would have to introduce a highway system to get from uh, Rio de Janeiro. Like, what are you going to do? You know, create a giant highway system straight from Rio de Janeiro straight to Manoa if they found it. So they're like, it's not profitable. We're not going to make millions off of it. So that might be El Dorado, but it's just going to sit there, you know? So that's really tough. Like, you want people to be able to see stuff like this. You want it to be discovered, but the practicality of, of having it excavated at every level destroys the Amazon. It's
1: yeah. It's, it's not just destroying it, but it's also like even finding this stuff when you don't even know where to look for some of it, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you talk about some of the the cultural rivalries there with who's actually doing it, how they're doing it. I mean, there's, it's, it's a mess, but before we get on to some of the other stuff that we've touched on, but have not gotten to yet today though, just as a, as a, pure definition we've been talking about all these mm. lost cities today but mm. you're refer you refer to like the seven lost cities is, is that yeah, right yeah something yeah. like that like what, what
0: what what can you just explain that a yeah little well the seven lost cities it's it's a really vague um it's a really vague legend but basically um i man i forget the uh, once you once you go north of like the mex uh the Mexican Valley, Um, oh man, I'd love to touch on the Aztecs for just a second, um, here in a moment, but because this kind of has something to do with the, with the seven lost cities, but the, um, the seven lost cities, I'm not an expert in this story. I just kind of come across it as I read about the ancient Southwest, but basically it's thought that there were seven giant cities in the ancient Southwest, uh, United States. So that would be, uh, New Mexico, Arizona, Nevada, Utah, um, it goes up it goes up a little bit more north than that. And it's also West Texas as well. So that's mm, like the ancient Southwest. Go. Yeah, yeah. So um uh, and I've seen some of these sites in, in uh in um West Texas. So basically there's some kind of legend. Oh, it's also North Mexico in the Chihuahuan Desert. There there's a lot of ancient cities there. But it basically said that there was the legend was that there was seven lost cities of gold and riches. Um that it wasn't um man, it was a uh, San, uh, was it San Jose? It, it was something like that. But there was there was a, a Spanish explorer who was kind of there. With, he's kind of one of those guys like Cortez, Oriana, Pizarro. He's one of those guys. Um, and he trekked across the American Southwest looking for these lost cities. And he found a lot of stuff, but it wasn't like, these cities of gold that he had had heard of. Mm -hmm. Um, And and gold likely got conflated with other things that were of value. Because once you get north of Panama, you're not really finding gold on the surface where uh, ancient Americans could mine gold out of the ground. It became like jade, copper, iron, different things like that that they were using, and jade really being the main thing. So, um, you know, had the Spanish been looking for jade, they would have found, you know, they would have been filthy rich, but they were just looking for gold. Mm. So these seven lost cities, it was likely a lot of it may have been true as far as, you know, there probably were seven big cities at one time between like Mogoyon culture and uh, Navajo culture in, that are in the Southwest. And there definitely were more than seven of these giant cities, but not full of gold. That one is probably actually completely a myth. Um mm. But have you ever heard of the, have you ever heard of the uh, myth of Aztlan? Aztlan? This is, this is similar to, um, this is similar to the seven lost cities. Uh, Is um, this
1: what, does this have to do with the Aztecs? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's it's similar.
0: similar. Yeah. So Aztlan is where the Aztecs are said to have come from. And Aztlan was in the, is thought and is described by the Aztecs as being exactly in the same place as the seven lost cities in the southwest Mm. United States. So it's very likely that the Aztecs did descend. And what's what's another interesting is that they said that they descended from like seven cave systems as well. So you have these seven lost cities, seven cave systems, maybe there's some kind of ancient oral tradition connection there that gets blurred over time, kind of like how we were talking that stories get all mixed up. So the Aztecs... They have no connection. Like, you know we throw the Aztecs in with the Maya and the Incas and yes. everything? They have literally no connection to any of those people. Right. Um, other than they did try to conquer the Maya and did conquer the Maya in some ways. So the Aztecs, they descended from some place, likely in North America, called, that they called Aztlan, which birthed the Aztecs. But something happened to them in Aztlan, and they moved south through the Chihuahuan desert until they ended up in the Mexican Valley. Now, I'll preface this by saying we know all of this because Aztecs wrote this down and they told Spanish chroniclers as well. So, Spanish chroniclers meeting the Aztecs wrote down Aztec history. And uh, I'll get into a second, if you'll remind me, about how just how much we've lost of Aztec and Maya writing as well. So, <clears throat> the Aztecs, they come down from somewhere in north america they were they were expelled from their society because they were so savage and so violent they're nomadic hunting mercenary warrior people trying to find a place to settle they come down into the mexican valley and they really like the mexican valley but all the tribes that are there are relatively peaceful just normal people right exactly like you and i they don't they don't want to have to go through the life fighting tooth and nail with other people just for survival. They want to, you know, live a decent life. And so the local tribes that are in the Mexican Valley, where where Mexico City is today, keep pushing the Aztecs out, saying, you're not welcome here. We don't like your way of life. We don't like your, your savagery. We want you gone. So they end up, uh, the Aztecs end up winning over this culture called the Calvacan culture. Mm. And so the Calvacan culture basically tells them, "Yeah, okay. Yeah, we can we can use the Aztecs to conquer some of the other cultures around around us." But the Calvacans were kind of like benevolent, not overly violent, but they wanted to rule the other cultures around the Mexican Valley. So they basically say, "Okay, the Aztecs are so savage and so violent. We're going to use them as warriors and mercenaries for us like contract warriors. So we're going to give them this little island that's out in the uh, middle of Lake Texcoco, and um, we're going to let them stay out there. And so the Aztecs at the same time are trying to find like their homeland, where where their god uh, Huitzpotli I think is is their god at, the, at at that time. He basically you know they go into like this shamanic trance. They're probably taking like peyote or something like that, and they meet this god that tells them that when you see an ergo, when you see an eagle, you know um, with this with a snake in its grasp. That's where you'll know that I want you to build your civilization. So they go out to the place that the Calhocan culture tells them, which is this small island in the middle of Lake Texcoco. And basically, it's just rocks. It's like barren rocks with small little trees. And the Calhocan people are like, yeah, the Aztecs, they're going to suffer out there. They can't build a city out there. What they don't realize is that it perfectly fortified that if the Aztecs were going to live there, they're surrounded by water on all sides with only one land mm. entrance, so it's a perfectly fortified area. And so the Aztecs, they get out there and they thrive, and they find the place that their, that their god, who it, it's some kind of pronunciation uh, close to that, I'm probably butchering that, um, but they find the the eagle with the serpent in its clutch right there at that little island, and so they start working for the Calvacan people. And as they're as they're working for him, they're collecting money over the course of like a, over the course of like a hundred years, and so they make a whole bunch of money from conquering other people for the Calakon culture, and they're building up their capital called Tenochtitlan, and they're building it up, building it up, building it up. And one of the Aztec priests basically goes into this shamanic state. He meets with their god, Huitzpotli, and I'll just call him Huitz. Um, meets with Huitz, and Huitz tells him, okay. The Aztecs, Tenochtitlan, have risen to a point of prominence that we should be equal with the Calvacan people. So I want you to send your prince over there. He's like talking to the king, <clears throat> or I want he's talking to a priest. I want you to send the prince to the Calvacan people and propose that our prince marries their princess. So they go, they make the proposition. The Calvacan people are like, yeah, the Aztecs are starting to get big. We should probably unite them and bring them into our uh, bring them into our empire or into our kingdom. <clears throat> so they uh, they agree, and the Calakon emperor sends his princess out to Tenochtitlan to marry the prince. And the prince and the prince of the Aztecs and the Calakon princess they get married. And then the king and the priest take another thing of peyote, meet their god, and, they, and their god tells them we're not going to marry into the Calakon culture. I want you to take the woman, behead her, rip <laughs> rip her skin off, put her skin on the prince's body, put her face on the prince's body and bring the Calacan king to Tenochtitlan to show him that we're going to conquer. we're now going to conquer Calacan. So they invite the king of Calacan over to Tenochtitlan and they bring him into the city and then they show him his daughter's skin and her face on the prince's body. And they butchered her and beheaded her and he's sitting there in shock and they cut his head off and then they invade Calacan and take over Calacan and conquer all of the surrounding tribes that wouldn't let them into the Mexican Valley so you're talking about <laughs> don't ever say we don't
1: live in the best time in human history that's oh, all i'm saying
0: so you're oh, talking about God. you're talking about like oh, savagery God. on another level and these people so this is so the aztecs have come in and they're ruling with an iron fist now okay yeah you don't you don't say and they're 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 in the mexican valley and so this is about this is about the late 1300s maybe like 1375 ad okay they're they're ruling over all of mexico right now mostly over all of mexico the only fledgling survivors are the late, po- late post-classic Maya that are still living in the Yucatan, but the Maya are on the downhill. They're, mm. they're falling. But the Maya have never met the Aztecs. They don't have any connection. But the Aztecs are moving slowly from, from the what the modern-day city of Mexico is up into the Yucatan, slowly taking over everything. But they start hitting the jungles. It gets really tough to fight against the Maya people in the jungles when the Aztecs are only from the desert. So <clears throat> basically... Um, there's a little bit of archaeological evidence to show that the Aztecs had gone through, so the Maya had um, the Maya had abandoned all of their highlands. So the Maya highlands were actually in the southern Maya region. So they when the Maya collapse happened, whatever caused the civilization to collapse, it made them go north into the Yucatan. So all these southern areas, that's like Chiapas, Mexico, through Guatemala, and Belize, where the mountains are, were mostly abandoned. These are like, very small, remote farming villages. And the Aztecs go through and mow all these people down. Mm. And they go all the way up. Have you heard of the city of Tulum, which is in Cancun? Yes, uh, of course. So the city of Tulum, they had occupied the city of Tulum. And we find like, uh, like scant archaeological evidence of like their pottery and and, uh, the fact that uh, there were their Aztecs relics there that kind of Paint a picture of them traveling across, and so what they had done is they had surrounded the Maya lowland regions where the Maya are living in, in the Yucatan, and they were about to uh, they were about to basically forge an assault on the Maya and conquer all of the Maya. Right when Cortez showed up, and uh, yeah, they were about they were about to conquer all of Mexico, and then uh, Cortez shows up and in the, history, year, in the year in the year fifteen nineteen and. Um, they think that he is Veracocha, and uh, man, then then they get they get conquered within like three years, four years. It was years. quick. Yeah, it was yeah. quick. How? F- yeah, <clears throat> that, and, but they they were. I was. I say that they were only able to do that because so many of the surrounding, like just because the Aztecs conquered everybody, doesn't mean that they killed everybody. You know, and and they there are reports that they were sacrificing eighty thousand people a day. That might be oh exaggerated. That might be exaggerated, but like. Is what is it only forty percent true? So what thirty-five thousand people were being being sacrificed today? And they were having their skin peeled off. And it was a normal thing. It was it was a normal thing for the Aztecs to like slip into the skin of their victims and (laughs) and dance around and like scare the normal people, you know? And the Aztecs they weren't self sacrificial like the Maya were. Like the Maya, if you won the Maya ball game, the winning team was sacrificed to their god, Kukul Khan.
1: Oh, it's a great honor to win, yeah, 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 now so we can go fucking die.
0: The winning team, yes, the prettiest girl of the city, the most well-loved girl. she was gonna get sacrificed. Ugh, you know, the Maya just
1: killing their evolution, man,
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the Maya sacrificed all of their best people, But the Aztecs are like, I'm not doing that. We're gonna capture all those people and then sacrifice them. So <clears throat> the Aztecs are all of these little tribes and, villages and small cities that were around the Mexican Valley that wanted the Aztecs gone, the Cahuacan culture accepting them destroyed the whole, basically all of all of Mexico by accepting them and allowing them to build up their wealth to conquer everything. So think about how many undertones of like rebellion were around where people were like, I oh, hate yeah. these people. Spanish show up who are just as vicious as the Aztecs, and it's like, you know, these two... Uh, unstoppable forces at each other, but then you have people who are also natives undermining the Aztecs. So they're telling all the Aztecs secrets to the Spanish, like, yeah, get rid of those people and help us. And then but, it, yeah. but really, it didn't help any of them. because yeah, they all right dis- around on them. Yeah, they all dis- died from disease, or the Spanish didn't even care, and they killed them anyways, made them give up their culture, made them give up all their history. Um, it's crazy mm, that yeah. this is 600 years ago, something
1: like that. I know, This is not that long ago. And when we look at the context of the world, like we haven't talked about the age of Earth and all that. We'll we'll get to that. But when you look at it, and then you look at some of the other symbols and customs that seem to tie the Western world and Eastern world together long before this, Mm. you wonder about like that lost history when there was contact. Like we already talked about the Phoenicians Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And it gets you... It gets you to things like the pyramids and mm-hmm. what, the, what the significance is mm-hmm. there. And actually, on that note, All right, guys, that takes us to the end of part one of two of my sit down with Luke Caverns. So if you haven't already, please smash that subscribe button, hit that notifications bell so that you find out when the new episode comes out in a couple days. And I will see you then. And also, if you don't mind, please hit that like button on the video because that's a huge help. Finally, here's another episode from the podcast for you guys to check out in the meantime. Thank you.